0: Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. Five goals in 20 minutes, it's just, you can't do that. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now.
1: OTB
2: AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, bang on half past seven this Monday morning. you welcome along to OTBAM. It's Jer and Nathan with you all the way through until 10. Nathan in celebratory mode this morning. How are you, Nathan? Morning, Jer.
3: How's all it going? Right. I'm alright. Yeah. And how was your weekend? Good weekend, Jer. Good weekend, Jeff. Busy weekend. What'd yeah. you get up to? Ah, uh, well, yesterday with Shamrock Rovers. Right, a lot of football games yesterday. Yeah, football matches uh, right through the day. uh, Twelve hours of football matches. Uh, Saturday, I was in recovery mode. Oh yeah. uh, Generally, as you led me astray on Friday evening, Uh, my well-worn Imro Radio Awards plan of get down to the (coughs) Lyre. Where are they all? Where Where, are the awards? Well, well, I know where mine is. Uh, Ah, you get one. You got one. Congratulations, Nathan. I don't don't know where the other two are. Uh, Last last scene I've heard at the Lyre at four a.m. was our producer, uh, Cullen Buhig. And the evening show producer, Mick McCarthy, literally rowing over the two of them uh, for our sports programme and sports story awards after the clean sweep for Off the Ball uh, as to which of them was more responsible for this. Well, we'll, we'll come back to this a, a little bit later on. So you had a good
2: weekend. It was a good weekend. Dear. Well deserved. Congratulations. Thanks, Chair. Thanks. Thanks. Um, I, I had uh, a great weekend up until this morning when I came in because... Um, uh, yes, I, I also sat watching a lot, but then stopped watching for like a family movie because it's like a thing that we do once. A, and then we had missed it on Saturday night because it was a party we to go to. <clears throat> and so in the middle of it, I was getting a lot of grief because I was very busy booking flights to Ireland versus France in Paris in September. Flights, the price got very expensive very quickly. And I was like, OK, look, you know, it's worth it. It's going to be it's going to be good. Because you you've just been to Paris, obviously, for the, the Champions League, had a very good time.
3: Well, you were the only one.
2: Well, well no, everybody on our trip had a really good time, you know. There was uh, definitely some shenanigans, we understand that, but um, my, we managed to avoid it. So anyway, uh, I'm, I'm one of the, the idiots who now has flights to a match that's not going to happen.
3: Well, you're uh, one who I think will definitely have flights to a match that won't happen because... Uh Ireland-France is unlikely to happen in Paris, it seems, because the Rugby World Cup starts the day after, unless they decide to put it in the Parc de France, possibly, uh, instead of the Stade de France, but it does look as though it'll be somewhere else in France. And uh, No harm in that, considering uh, Stade de France has never been our favourite place in the world. Would you nail all there, happily? Well, we would take that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an absolute shambles, it seems. We beat them 1-0 in 90 minutes? So, obviously, obviously, the worst thing is that Uh, We've had a horror draw. Uh, Then people go, actually, one thing that's not too bad is the fact that, you know, you know, Uh, we get get close trips. Everyone gets in early, books their flights. And then UEFA say last night, disregard all that. We've made a mistake. We've made a mistake. We'll be back to you sometime in the next few days with the actual fixtures.
2: Of course, I didn't book them through an airline website. I booked them through lastminute.com. And so, therefore, I I, I was like, I don't need any cancellation. This is going to go ahead. Insurance. The f- the first one I booked, I got the whole way through, and they're like, "Oh, those flights are gone." And then, anyway, yeah. So, um, I I feel Stephen Kenny's pain this morning. we we've had a similar experience. <laughs> The draw, yeah. the draw has led to, um, a bit of an issue. Uh, right. It is 7.33. OTBA to you Live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effort to finish your day. Here's what's coming up. Uh, performance ranking straight away. David Meyer's going to join us at 7.55 for specific reaction to the draw. We might talk about Liverpool as well. Andy Mitten at 10 past 8. Things are going well for Man United. Uh, they're not in the red this morning. Sports pages at 8.35. Uh, we'll also get an update from Col. Alan Quinlan's going to join us at 8.50 to talk about the rugby at the weekend. The Munster thing is getting, you know, uh, real at this stage Harriet Pryor is going to give us uh, Some Liverpool thoughts And Sunday papers At half past nine But at 7.34 It's time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings You know that wasn't An All-Ireland
0: winning performance Probably should have won the game
2: Based on their second half performance Is it a step too far To
0: say it was the performance
2: So far of the World Cup
0: Maybe not OTBAN's performance rankings With Gillette I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head That performances Just lacked that intensity
2: uh, we're going to leave the Formula One until Shane is in tomorrow because there's too much to get through. Like um, somebody could easily have been killed. The, they didn't know who, uh, what the story was at the end. The, the reigning world champion has, was like, oh, "I didn't win. I didn't win. I didn't. Did I win? Did I win?" Very underwhelming. But we'll get to that tomorrow. It's not in the performance rankings today. Where are we starting? Uh,
3: we're going to start uh, with Liverpool yet again, who must be leading the way this season in appearances in the red, uh, beaten. And, well, I think Jurgen Klopp himself admitted they are not in the title race and it's hard to see how they could be when you look at their results this season. Uh, Despite beating Bournemouth 9-0 earlier in the season, they're now behind Bournemouth in the Premier League table. And it was all the same problems yesterday. It it reminded me of watching Arsenal-Liverpool a lot over the past five or six seasons, but the roles were reversed in the way that Arsenal just cut Liverpool apart again and again and again. And I don't know how many uh, zooms you can do in on Trent Alexander-Arnold in 45 minutes, but a new record was definitely sent yesterday. Every time, every time something went wrong, uh, there was only one man that the TV cameras were looking for, uh, whether he was culpable or not. And for the first two goals, he was uh, certainly involved in them, but it's not getting any better. And despite the change in shape, uh, they don't look any more solid at the back. They're getting totally overrun in midfield. And... Some of their forward players aren't firing. Like Mo Salah, just doesn't look like a player with any confidence right now. Luis Diaz uh, picked up what looked like a, a bad injury, and Jurgen Klopp was really concerned after the game. Left the stadium on crutches, uh, so he, you know he's provided a bit of energy at the very least. Newday did well yesterday. Had chances, got himself a goal. Uh, looked a real threat. Didn't look like a striker lacking confidence. And obviously Firmino's the real surprise of the season in that every time he plays, he seems to be scoring. And Jota did well, but it's it's behind that. It's. They just look so soft right now. And for a team like Arsenal, with all the confidence that they have, uh, it went exactly as you would have predicted if you didn't know the recent history of the two clubs. If you just looked at this season, it very much played out along four lines. Uh, Like, Is there any kind of fix that's
2: available from a Liverpool perspective? Or is, there, is it now one of those seasons where they really have to hope that they go on a crazy run in the Champions League that somehow rescues the season?
3: possibly or the goalkeeper pops up and scores a winner at some stage and you scrape through to the top 4 and uh, you reset he'll have to come up with some sort of a fix he's obviously decided to go with two in midfield like can you play with two in midfield and the two be Jordan Henderson and Thiago that like do they have the energy levels do they have the quick burst of speed that you need to get across and cut out a counter attack doesn't feel like, it. like it, it. It feels like both of them, particularly Henderson, is is really lacking that. And it was such a key cog of what Liverpool have done. Maybe he brings Fabinho back in again. Like you, could you play Salah through the middle a little bit more as just a, a number nine in place, some off him? There's, there's things he can do and there's things he'll have to try and do, particularly if Trent Alexander-Arnold is injured as well. Uh, he's going to have to make quite a few alterations. Uh, but right now, it's very hard to see how they turn this around, considering next Sunday... They play Manchester City at Anfield. Uh, uh, you know,
2: so um, how bad does it get?
3: Is it, this well, is like- think how bad it got the last time. And look, a lot of that was obviously down to injuries. Uh, this time it again, it feels like it's a, a sort of total systems failure. That the same things are happening again and again. And I do think it's down to the midfield. I do think when you look at Liverpool, the signing of Thiago changed everything about the way that they played that suddenly they were a lot more possession-based. They weren't totally reliant on turnovers. And you could argue that maybe they played some of their best football ever under Jurgen Klopp since Thiago has come to the club. But the problem is nobody else can do what he can do when they have a three-man midfield. Nobody else can control a game the way he can. And he's always injured. Uh, So it seems a bit of inconsistency in there. They don't have the energy. They don't have Fabinho and Henderson been able to protect the fullbacks the way they once were. And they need to look at what they did over the course of the summer. Like Darren Nunez may go on to be a success. He may go on and score you know, 15 goals a season, which will probably be a success, uh, albeit uh, in the shadow of what Erling Haaland is doing. But midfield was where they needed reinforcements. I still can't see Harvey Elliott being a midfielder in a Jurgen Klopp team. Like He's brilliantly talented. You could see a place for him in the front three, like Fabio Carvalho, the exact same thing. But they're too light. They don't have the tenacity of a Wijnaldum uh, Fabinho Henderson midfield of Liverpool at their absolute best. So I'm not sure in the short term what they can do. They should have gone and invested in the summer. They should have gone and maybe they tried with Jude Bellingham at the time. The vibe seemed to be that maybe Bellingham has passed them at this stage in terms of the transfer fee that they'll look for. But you know, Liverpool, the reason they got to the next level was they went and they signed one of the best goalkeepers in the world. They signed the best centre half in the world. They spent an enormous amount of money on them, and they had a manager who we know can make players better.
2: Yeah, there's no there's no bit here where in your you know the the, the Klopp relationship gets to point where it's like, okay, I've I've done amazing things here. I'm going to go and try and find something else to do.
3: I Think that watching the game yesterday, <laughs> that is there. It felt so calamitous at times that every time Arsenal came forward, you go like, how how can they be this poor so quickly? And the club has tried something else. He has changed the system over the past And All right, they, they beat Rangers and it was a fine performance. But Arsenal were at a totally different level to Liverpool yesterday. And you know, he was out during the week saying, it's it's not like Brucey Dortmund, it's not like Mines, It's a very different scenario here. And yeah. The players leaving were in a far stronger position. And you have to trust that you know he's been able you know, to turn it around before after they had that disastrous season a couple of years ago. They went incredibly close last season. Uh, and I don't think anyone in the right mind will be calling uh, for Jurgen Klopp. No, it's even. the opposite though. He might just get fed up with it.
2: Yeah, the one thing it did feel a little bit this year, like um, that Liverpool, like beating Liverpool, you can't say that Arsenal are after the game that Arsenal lost against Manchester United. In fairness to you, you said uh, they showed loads. You know, stick with them. This isn't the same Arsenal anymore. And I would, I think that you were probably on balance right, but I'm still, I still think beating Liverpool in the manner in which they did isn't the amazing thing that it would have been this time last year or, you know, when Liverpool were at their peak. Liverpool are like one of those prize fighters who are a little bit shot and look great on your record but actually when you look at it not really that big a deal anymore because loads of teams are actually going to beat Liverpool this season or will score three times against them and maybe end up drawing 3 all. So...
3: Um, now they've only lost two games all season In uh, the Premier League But they're not winning games And they've only won two And even if you think Ten of the points two, from eight games Even if you think of the two games they won Obviously Bournemouth is a 9-0 spectacular performance But Bournemouth obviously capitulate completely in that And the other one is the Newcastle game Where they score literally the last kick of the game With Fabio Carvalho And Newcastle could just have easily Have gone and won that game And uh, for, for Arsenal I think it's important Because uh, they've had so many tough days Against Liverpool Again, Arsenal were a team that Liverpool would have looked at And thought Yeah their weaknesses are exactly what we will expose, and they did it again and again and again through Salah and Mane. Whereas Arsenal yesterday would have looked at Liverpool and thought, like down the wing, like Martinelli from the first second, and, and that, like that, has to be a criticism of Klopp that everyone watches Arsenal this season and knows how good. Martinelli is yeah do do something about it how do you let him get in behind inside the first minute of the game yeah all right.
2: Uh, good win for Arsenal yesterday I'm looking forward for another week of ignoring them says Bamba Sonicas Uh, no no we're going to we're going to talk a lot about Arsenal now it turns out Um, Michael says Klopp has lost his magic Uh, they'll most definitely lose to City this weekend leaving them in the bottom half of the table mid-October this team is now not good enough anymore says Mixter's and uh, then the rest of them are coming in at the moment about the Ireland thing sorry morning lads I think we'll do alright in the Euros how does Nathan feel about Liverpool's relegation fight can they survive they should, they should just be able enough uh, too big to go down too big to fail alright let's move on because the other thing that happened over the weekend was the inconsistencies in VAR I don't know are they inconsistent or not or is this just like, it seems like the handballs in particular are inconsistent yesterday
3: well there's a, so there's a couple of different things going on with VAR I should try my Dermot Gallagher Irish accent uh right now where um, I have a different voice when I'm talking to the Irish people as opposed to speaking to the Sky Sports audience. I Actually saw Dermot Gallagher walking into Hamden Park the night at the Ireland Glasgow game, walking into the Ireland section, ghost all the games. Yeah. What a man. Uh so the Gabriel one like has to be a handball. It's a clear penalty. The second you see the replay. in and what real happens, time...
2: what happens if that is, and like what happens if we Well yeah. that,
3: that like there's a few decisions because the Gabriel J Je- Thiago foul and Gabriel Jesus if the referee doesn't give that in real time, I don't think there's any way VAR overturn it and give the penalty. Uh, they obviously felt that you know it, it wasn't a clear and obvious error and that there was enough contact on Gabriel Jesus for it to be a penalty. But Gabriel, every time you see that, it's a penalty kick. His arm is up. Is it in a natural position? Maybe when you are jumping, it's just a little bit. He's very close to the player when the ball smashes off his arm. But you're going to see 20 of those given this season. Uh, it's an important time in the game and... Yeah, It's just so frustrating with VAR Because you have no idea what they're going to give I watched, I was commentating on Crystal Palace Leeds yesterday, you know there's uh Decore, the Palace Midfielder gets booked early on, he goes in With a really rash challenge like, He has to be sent off, it's a second, clear second yellow card Almost like a Jason Maloney, the referee goes As a look, sees as it is, no you're fine you're Like VAR have to intervene here and say like There's a bit of a lunge here, you have to send him off And they don't in that case, so you know, Palace go on and come back and they win the game Uh, The other one is the Marcus Rashford incident, which uh, I don't think would have been too controversial, only for what happened with Mikel Antonio. So this is, both of them were in a similar spot, they're cutting in from the left-hand side, the ball bobbles up and it hits them on the arm. Antonio is quite clear, he he almost goes in like this and he's cradling the ball Uh, and bizarrely they decided that that wasn't a handball and uh, he went through and he scored to make it 3-1 to West Ham. Marcus Rashford, he puts United 3-1 up, he thought. Uh, the replays look a little bit inconclusive. It might hit the side of his chest. There's another angle where it does look as it brushes off his arm. Like that one's straightforward. It doesn't even really need v- or once they have a quick look at it because the rule is very simple. If the goal scorer, if the ball hits his arm at all, accidental or intentional, the goal is ruled out. I but couldn't see. I couldn't see any footage. I like. So you say there is footage
2: from one side where where Rashford. It's clear there's a handball. I actually couldn't see it. But um,
3: you know, so if the debate. Sorry, if there's a debate about whether he handles it, well, that's for VAR. But if we assume that he did that handle, he does it, handle it or that it it's comes an off automatic, yeah, no, fair uh, enough cancellation of the goal. But how it doesn't happen with Mikel Antonio?
2: Yeah, where well, it's clear as day. Like, you don't have not,
3: to think about these things.
2: Yeah. All right. So it, yeah, we should stop thinking about it. VAR. Yeah. It hasn't really been the the breakthrough, the the moment of human progress that we thought it would be. What about Cristiano Ronaldo's finish? Casemiro's pass for Cristiano Ronaldo's finish—that's yeah. pretty good.
3: Uh, Ronaldo, um, listen, there's parts of his game you can you can tell every so often he goes press, press, I must press. Uh, but when he was on the ball, like some of his little step overs at times, you know, there's still still a few little bits there from Cristiano Ronaldo you can get behind. Right, Ireland's Euros
2: draw is in the amber. Um, it says here, nightmare, but great games. That's from Colum. Uh This should really be in the red, except unless you're Roddy
3: or Dunphy, you're putting it in the green. Great draw. They're saying, great draw. Just shows the sort of pessimists we are. It shows... Uh, well, I was, figures, I was uh, still thinking uh, I'm going to have a, a good... Nightmare, but great games. Paris. Is that what we are? Is that where we are now? As a footballing backwater? We're just happy that Kylian Mbappe is going to grace our shores doesn't matter if we win or lose. As long as Kylian Mbappé comes and sells out the Aviva of Virgil van Dyke. thank you, thank you for coming to Lansdowne Road and selling all those season tickets. Uh, it is a nightmare draw. I can understand the angle of, well, actually, there's not going to be any huge expectation around these games. For Ireland, it's going to come down to beating Gibraltar twice and then beating Greece twice and hoping you can nick something off those four games. Are we going to beat then Greece they twice? And beat each other. No, listen, I'd imagine in Athens this morning they're saying, Beat Ireland twice. Fourth seed. And we've got Ireland as third seeds. Great opportunity for us here. Uh, it's a very, very difficult draw. And the, the disappointment is that you're looking at a away, going, we're going to be reliant on a playoff. Playoff isn't 100% guaranteed to the way it was last time round. And in fact, the way the draw has gone where a lot of the better teams are all on the same side uh, could give others an opportunity as lower seeds to qualify, which would uh, potentially have a knock-on effect. For I still think it's, Likely that Ireland will end up in a playoff, uh, but Ireland have played well against the better teams. That's we the don't know one. That's the one. France and the Netherlands. Yeah. If it is France uh, next March in the first game, uh, players will have just come through World Cup straight back into the Premier League, played an awful lot of football. Could they just flip it so that we're away in Paris and in that? But we first don't know game. if Ireland is the issue. So the reason UEFA have come out to say there's a problem in one group and uh, trying to find details yesterday evening it seemed to be talked that it was in one of the other groups that there was a problem but because of the TV deal and them having to ensure that the better teams don't all play in the same night that that may have a knock-on effect. Now it seems mad that they would change several of the groups just for one group. Uh, but yeah, hold your horses in terms of booking flights. And maybe they do a swap uh, for Ireland and France uh, but the fact that it's the night before. Now, there's a lot of people who are going to be going over to France for this match and not returning home for several weeks. I suspect uh, <laughs> Ireland are going to be playing the rugby straight away. Several weeks. That, that would be a good you trip. You do the full tour. You do the full. Yeah. Straight down to Bordeaux. Yeah, it's very nice. On to Nantes. Bordeaux, very, 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 very expensive. Bordeaux, very expensive. Yeah. Very expensive. So. Um, Nantes. Yeah. Listen. Surprisingly think, nice city. It, I haven't been to Nantes. Yeah, but Bordeaux. Good. Bordeaux was very, very nice when we were there for the uh, Belgian game. Result? Not, not so good. Um, if you were sitting down yesterday morning and going, the usual, good draw, bad draw. Like, this was the bad draw. Yeah. This was the bad draw.
2: I do think it's important that we play well against the good teams. That, like, We shouldn't forget that. Uh,
3: yeah, it is. And you could end up in... And listen, both of these sides you know, have, as we know, the ability to implode at a certain stage. And I think that's the hope that you, if you were to pick up a point against France early on, then the Dutch were to go and beat them. But the key thing is that you have to win your four games against Greece and Gibraltar to have any chance of finishing in the top two and remember uh, Nations League comes back to bite us in the ass again nothing that happens after that if Ireland don't finish in the top two if they finish third or if they finish fifth makes no difference to whether Ireland get a playoff
2: sure It'll make a lot of difference towards the psychological well being of the, the nation's oh, ab- state.
3: Ab- and absolutely. The mood music. Um, absolutely. And, and even Kenny.
2: And rankings in the future as well. The Dutch are beatable. I fancy us to do them at home, says Chris Kyle. Uh how you're incredibly excited for our Euro 2024 group, as I feel after the improvements in Ireland's play and another season of football for our young guns, we will cause some upsets. Koi big, says James McCullough. And Patrick McHugh says, horrific Euro qualifying draw. Is this going to be how Kenny is judged? Ye at OTB have been saying this all year. I'm a Kenny man but he's up against it now. He is up
3: against it. No, absolutely. And I think we can all make a case for Ireland getting better and, as you say, performing against the better sides. But if you're just to look at it on paper and the talent that is in that Dutch squad and that it is in that French squad, I think whatever team was the third seed in that group... Was going to struggle. Is, yeah. ...was going to struggle. But there is a way... Again, there's, we know the way Irish football works. There's a way of, way of winning, a way of losing. Uh, and Stephen Kenny needs to find the, the balance. OK, Connacht... Yes,
2: new four G pitch, free from the the pitch. wind and the the rain
3: and the weather. Well I wouldn't, I wouldn't really go that far, but they're back, they're back. Uh, first win of the season. They'd had a really tough start of the season, really tough fixture list as well at the start of the season. Uh, beat Munster at the Sports Ground on Friday night, twenty points to eleven. And um, by all accounts, uh, that was probably the as close as it could have been because Connacht were by far and away the better side. Uh, somehow found themselves behind at halftime. 8-5, when they should have been well, well clear, uh, missed several chances to get into an early lead, gave Munster an opportunity, but just about grounded out at the end. Uh, Finlay Bielam was mad at the match, Mack Hansen got himself a try as well, huge performances from them. Bielam, probably enough in that, albeit a year away, to make sure he's in that Ireland squad as Ty Furlong's backup for the World Cup. Uh, Mack Hansen is obviously going to be right in contention for a starting place. Jack Carty had a funny old day in that he was brilliant in open play, uh, but missed three kicks. Two conversions and a penalty. Conversion right in front of the post. Hit the post. uh, Three from three. And unfortunately, as as a kicker, uh, (laughs) that's the thing you're going to home in on. And uh, Fitzgerald came on then and took the last couple and kicked them uh, to give Connacht at least a bit of uh, breathing space. So you do wonder if it would actually be in Jack Carty's best interest long term if somebody else took the kicks because probably in open play he is right in the mix to be in that World Cup squad. Uh, but yeah, as you say, Connacht, a very difficult start and in fact they're not in the Champions Cup this year. We know the Champions Cup qualification for next year is very difficult as it will quickly become for Munster. So somebody analysing today, you probably need maybe 10 wins to get Champions Cup qualification this season. It's a lot of wins, i got to get, start getting some of them. Like, both these sides got to start getting some of them. Um, Connor play Leinster uh, at the weekend, and then it's Leinster-Munster the following weekend. But as you say, uh, there's a big crowd and go away. They've got their new pitch. Uh, maybe they can turn it into a bit of a fortress. You win almost all your home games. You're going to start getting close uh, to that 10. But uh, Quinny's going to be with us in a while. Yeah. Munster's probably, again almost a bigger story.
2: Yeah, uh, other great performances from Ulster and from Leinster in a topsy-turvy seesaw game where Sexton was right in the middle of everything including the flare-up at the end. Uh, he, he has started the season as somebody who is uh, enjoying every second of it. We'll talk about that as I said with Quinny a little bit later on. Um, and then finally, the last one,
3: Shamrock Rovers. Yes, I was in Tala last night Um uh, speaking of Connacht, it was very sports ground-like conditions. Uh, the ball came back to Alan Mannis, the Rovers' keeper, in the first half. And he fired it forward and the ball almost came right back to him. It was like a hurricane out there. And then the rain started with about half an hour to go. You could barely see what was going on out in the pitch. Uh, so Rovers have obviously been stumbling in recent weeks. They've been struggling to manage the workload of both Europe and the league. Uh, they went into last night's game two points clear of Derry uh, with the game in hand. And Derry are going to Tala on the penultimate night of the season. And suddenly they find themselves 1-0 down. They get back to 1-0. 2-1 down just before half-time. And real tough Shelburne side. Very physical. It was a right niggly, scrappy game. Uh, had played with the wind in the first half. So then you're thinking, well, now Rovers uh, have the wind. It was that strong. It was like a huge... Uh, shells couldn't get out of their own half in the second half. Like, you just, If you fired it forward, it was coming straight back at you. But it meant that they were just sticking as many men back behind the ball as they possibly could. Uh, Rovers grab an equaliser, and you think they're definitely going to go on and win. And oh, if they hadn't won this game, they had three chances in pretty much injury time that flashed across the goal. Aaron Green had two of them where he thought he has to score. It was going to be one of those agonising nights. And then Rory Gaffney, who I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up as Footballer of the Year in Ireland. Uh, scores this really good volley with the last kick of the game, corner kick comes to him, cut it, one of these you see people just smash at it, flash it over the top of the crossbar, side foots it, keeper looks to be going the wrong way, maybe he can get a stronger hand, pams it onto the post, into the back of the net, uh, last moment, five points clear, four games remaining, and gives him that bit of a cushion against Derry.
2: All right, so uh, that is all we have in the, oh no, hang on a second, there's one more, there's an extra oh, one, look, yeah. look, there's a
3: second one there, oh, there you go, look, Congratulations. Oh, look. Oh, wow, beautiful. That was taken, I'd say, pre-11 p.m. Your voice is a bit raspy. You were, you were on the cigars. That was a bad idea. It's a good idea at the time. It's a bad idea the next morning. Thanks to whoever uh, gave me that cigar. That, there's always people organized at these awards. Well, like, I just bought cigars for everybody who was going to win. Oh, that's it's a good idea. Very generous. In yeah. fairness yeah. Uh, to myself and yourself, chair, um, we showed our age. I think we were two of the more sensible people on the night. Yeah, exactly. Uh, tell me, what did you win it for? Uh, just all around brilliance, Jerry. I would say. Oh, but hey. all right.
2: And uh, would you would you describe yourself as a humble winner? Uh, uh, of course, always. Yeah. It's all yeah.
3: about. The team. Oh yeah, did you mention uh, the team once? It's all about did the you? team. It's did you? all about the team. Who's on your team, Nathan? Uh, team everybody Nathan. Everybody is. Everybody's on my team. Um, <laughs> I won it, What did I win it for? I won it for um, the interview I did with Stephen Kenny last year, right. uh, where he came in. And he spoke about his heart attack. so that was the main part of it. Uh, but it wasn't just me, Jerry. We should point out it was a clean sweep for off the yeah, ball. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. Other, other people won as well, I think didn't they? It was our first ever clean sweep, was it, for off the ball at the end? I'm Euros? not sure. I
2: think there might have been one in the past, but I you don't remember. A
3: sports program of the year. And sports story of the year as well for our coverage of the Euro 2020 final. Yeah, very good. No room for anybody else, here.
2: So OTB is in the green, not just you. I'd better we'll you didn't to point that, that out there, there I eventually. Didn't put that there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I started backing into a corner. With the arm was twisted. Very, yeah. very Right, that is this week's Gillette Louds Performance Rankings. OTBAS
0: Performance Rankings with Gillette.
2: We are live every morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day. Up next, we're going to be joined on the line by the former Republic of Ireland midfielder, David Myler. First, Joe was joined by Kieran Cunningham and Sarah Donovan on the Sunday pay-per-view, and obviously they reacted immediately to Ireland, the Euro twenty twenty four draw. Have a look.
1: I'm excited by the draw. Like, I know it's very hard, but um, I just think, you know, a lot of fans will go, wow, we're playing France, we're playing Netherlands. And, uh... Even though it would be very hard to finish the top two, I think that would have been the case anyway, but I, I know I always thought the likeliest route is because of the convoluted system with the nations League more than likely we will have a playoff unless you know uh, there 's a, a few unlikely results down the road but uh, I, you know I think people there will be an excitement out of France coming here, Netherlands coming here There 're also the advantage for fans as well. You can get direct flight to Paris, uh, presuming the game is a Paris. Uh, you can direct flights to Amsterdam. You can get direct flights to Greece. That is very attractive when, you know, the last few years when you've been going to Armenia or Kazakhstan has been very complicated. And it's been, uh, you know, in football terms, it's obviously hugely challenging. But it was seven years ago, yesterday, it's entirely beat Germany, you know, and it was Shane Long's goal. Yeah. And sometimes something, you know, Netherlands didn't qualify for the last World Cup. You know, th- th- there are teams that can. You can just get them on a certain day. Like it's unlikely you're going to finish top two. I agree, Greece will be tricky, but I think um, I can see positives in it. Like I, I just think the whole. I know there's a you know the the people are very vocal about Kenny and the project and there's excitement around it, but I think to grab the attention of a wider public. You, need, you haven't had a big glamour team mm. play in Ireland since Germany, probably, in Ireland. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have. Have you? No, you haven't.
4: Portugal, glamour-ish.
1: Yeah, Portugal to an extent. Was that behind closed doors, that one? Or were, were fans back then trying to remember? Do
4: you not remember the girl running on getting the jersey? Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Who could forget that
4: magical moment <laughs> yeah, in Irish yeah. football? Yeah. Uh, it was a full house. It was an amazing atmosphere.
2: Right, it is eight o'clock. Uh, this morning you're very welcome to OTBM if you've just joined us if you haven't you've uh, already missed our performance rankings uh, Rice, David Myler is with us David good morning to you how are you good morning gentlemen um, We're our opinion is divided about like you know you want to play the best teams also you want to qualify uh, what was your instinct when you saw the draw first
5: that's extremely tough um, obviously you've got the French, and the French and the Dutch who are two our hosts in, in European football um, and then of course Greece Greece are a good team and then of course uh, Gibraltar who we always seem to play Gibraltar, Georgia we always have one of them um, but the first thought was that's an extremely tough group um, Greece are a very good team so it's going to be tough but look you go into it you've got to go into it with optimism um, there's been a lot of progression I believe in the team okay results haven't been as, as good as people have, will have wanted there has been progression there's a lot of young boys um, and this is a, an incredible test for Stephen and the
3: players when we talk to players over the next few weeks they're going to say oh we relish the opportunity you know these are the games you want to play in it doesn't matter who you play it's always going to be tough uh, if you were still part of the squad and you were sitting at home watching that draw yesterday what would you have been thinking?
5: What an incredible opportunity to go to France to play against France to go to really? Netherlands to play against them yeah are you not course. going
3: oh jeez I really want to play in the Euros and now <laughs> it's, it's going to be <laughs> hard tougher
5: yeah of course that's that ultimately is the goal to play, you know, to represent your country in a, in a major tournament. That's the goal. But like, if you look at history, we've only qualified for six competitions. You know, it's it's quite easy to rattle them off. But even like, as you go back to, you know, the qualifier for the Euros in 2016, we took four points off the world champions. You know, it was only seven years ago the other day that, you know, we beat Germany when Shane scored. Like, there are moments we can produce performances. We've done it. Um, Albeit, yes, it's going to be extremely tough, but. I would look at it like, why not go in with optimism? You know, the pressure in those in those kind of four games against the French and the Netherlands, like we're expected to lose all four games, so you've nothing you've nothing to lose. Like you go out and you perform, and you do really well, then who knows? Like like you look at it. I remember the everyone was in crisis when we played Scotland away, um, when we lost one nil, and then all of a sudden we go and we get a result against Germany, and it kind of flips it flips everything on its whole head. So why not? Okay, it's going to be tough, but they, didn't finish, they get... hmm? you didn't finish third in that group.
3: You did finish yeah. third in that group despite beating Germany, uh, which is part of the problem here. That you got to finish the top two. To you got to finish inside the top two. In a way, you, you mentioned Greece a couple of times there, and uh, looking yesterday, I was a bit shocked to see George Baldock of Sheffield United had been a key part of this uh, Greek squad. It turns out uh, him on one side, Costas Chimikas on the other side. Uh, they've obviously got yeah. a, a good bit of quality, like that's the bit for, they have to win those two games against Greece because the problem would be that, yes, it's all well and good getting a big result against France and Netherlands. You're not going to win your four games against them. That counts for very little. If you don't win the four games against Gibraltar and Greece.
5: Yeah. Well, you're looking at thinking, right, we should beat Gibraltar home and away. Fine. It's then it's us against, it's us against Greece, isn't it really? Um, That's the big one that can we go and beat them? A nation, yes. The, I, I I've seen them obviously with them doing really well in their nations league group. That's kind of the game where we're going to be judged on. Is the is the Greece game home and away? Can we get results against them? Can we get them four points? Can we beat them at home and you not know, get a draw away? And um, and then you've got kind of free shots at the other nations. I think that would be like regardless. I I know how the the playoff situation works with the teams. You know, obviously qualifying and all that, but. It, French and the Netherlands are ahead of us it's then we have to you know secure third to kind of say well we are making progression but we're playing against two powerhouse no nations
2: uh, like uh, just to go take the Kenny era right It it's the games against the, the better teams than us mm-hmm. that we played some of our best stuff even the, the two Scotland games take them in the round Scotland are the team who won the group um, like That we got way more off them than Ukraine did okay so the Ukraine B team we actually struggled with more than anybody else Um, and sorry Armenia right so like is that not something that gives you a little bit of hope as well That the team is actually set up to play against very good teams that it has an expectation that it won't have 60% possession that it can survive off 30-35% possession we did well against Portugal in the two games you would say the performances against Portugal were the best in that campaign like that's the one standout part of, that has been consistent we've been consistently good against the good teams and pretty bad against the bad teams
5: yeah that, that, that's been one of our problems um, when we've dominated teams and we've, we've had a lot of possession we've struggled to break them down um, and there's no doubt that you know even now since, since the last international campaign Stephen will have sat down he'll have you know rewatch games come back over training sat down with his coaches gone through everything they'll be looking for solutions and answers to why you know, if we are dominating why aren't we creating enough chances so and there's no doubt that they'll be working extremely hard on, you know, resolving that issue. But like you said there, there has been some very, very good performances. Like even that one when you you bring up Portugal when we played them way when John Egan scored. Like, it was two incredible headers from Ronaldo that never really changed the game, which we were hard done by to get beaten by in a, like a very, very good Portugal team. Um, they have some extremely talented players, but it took it took one of the best players of all time to produce two moments to, to beat us. So they're there's a lot to draw on going into those games. And I do believe, you know, we have to go in somewhat optimistic. Um, you know, you can't you can't just leave your life going alone saying like, oh, well, the results haven't been great against the lesser nations. You know, we're playing France and the Netherlands and Greece are a good team. That this is going to be awful. You know, we're going to finish fourth, get rid of the manager. All the players are useless. That's the way a lot of people are. I just like to look at it like we get a free shot at two of those big nations. And then Greece... I believe we can beat them um, and I think the foundation has been put in place over the last 18 months where we are moving in the right direction. Um, there's a lot of young players. Um, even even, even if the smallest thing, if you think about it, when we go into March to play these games, like French are off the back of the World Cup. You don't know right in terms of Will their squad be the same? Will players move on? New manager. Um, mm. New the, manager you don't know.
2: The Dutch are going to have a new manager more than likely. Van, a- Van Gaal will, will go at the end of this. Like he, he, I think he's said that a
3: couple of times. And everyone's talking yeah. about the fitness of players for the World Cup. But actually, what will the fitness be of the players who come back from the World Cup who are straight into Premier League, Serie A, La Liga a week later mm. again? So, yeah, maybe. I, I think you, you raise an interesting point, David, about the debate around Stephen Kenny, maybe that's the big thing to take out of yesterday's draw. It just means every game again is going to be a referendum and it shows how the Nations League was such a missed opportunity for Ireland because I think both literally and metaphorically, it's put them in this position that... If they had a higher seeding, they obviously wouldn't have ended up in this scenario if they'd beaten yeah. uh, Armenia, if they'd won their group, as Stephen Kenny had said. But also, the doubts that still remain for a lot of people around Stephen Kenny every single match, even that first game against France, like, he's gone into that known. And they probably have to play a friendly in that window as well now, the way the fixtures work. Like, he's going into that knowing you can't you can't get a beating. And I don't think they will get a beating, but it's suddenly if you were to lose, like, 3-0 against France may not actually be the worst result in the world. It could be outstanding. But because of everything that's gone before, it just means the pressure is ramped up again and again and again. And they can't afford to be having any poor windows at all. So it does feel as though it's just going to prolong the debate uh, for even longer. Because I would have been quite... Uh, you know, I think Ireland should be qualifying for the Euros and the manager should have to qualify for the Euros but now you're looking at this going well yeah but he's probably going to have to qualify during the playoffs so do we are we waiting all the way till the playoffs well, that, yeah obviously? I mean if if like I don't know I don't know they didn't the last time mm.
2: you know they made the change before the playoffs it was obviously a different scenario because of it COVID. was yeah and, and the contracts had all been signed so I don't know I don't know, David, was there a question well, in the Nathan? I don't
3: This is, is well, the quality of sport sports was, broadcast of the year this here. This is, <laughs> listen. When your sports <laughs> broadcast broadcast you, is you're sports broadcast you stop asking questions, you start giving your own opinion. That's the gig, isn't it? Yeah. Well,
5: yeah. yeah. No, but it's, it's. you're right. Like, Stephen has come under a lot of criticism. You know, obviously, he, he did extremely well with Dundalk. He's come in with, you know, glowing CV and he did, he did well with the 21s and everything. There's always been an agenda with a few. There's always been people who have just been anti Stephen, Kenny, and then there's been people who have been firm believers and it's been, it's been tough for him. You know, you look back at the early days with COVID and his players, you know, they were struggling with that. And there's it been a lot of different things. I think we're all kind of looking at this qualifying campaign. Like that was the big talk finishing up in the Na- nation's league a few weeks ago that it was all about the Euro 24 qualifying campaign. Um, I know the draw is out. That's the one thing that everyone said, we'll wait and see what the draw is. Now we've seen the draw, and you look at the nations that we have in it. You're kind of going, "Oh wow!" So, do opinions slightly change because it's not going to be easy to qualify from that? To finish like, it, as Jerry said, their top two in that would be one of the greatest achievements of any Irish manager, and that's that's. that's you have a new contract. to
3: finish into the top two in that group.
5: Yeah, and. Like that's obviously that's the challenge that is in, in front of him, um, and I think he he will believe that they can get results. That the Dutch are, you know, you can pick holes in the Dutch because if you watch many of their games, they're they're, they're a bit odd, they're a bit strange. You know, they have they have top quality players, but they just don't seem to gel or bond as a group. So there could be weaknesses there that you could exploit. Obviously, Greece are going to be a similar type nation to us. Can we be you know hard to break down? Put in possession, create chances, take our chances, and then you kind of get free shots at France. So I I, I do believe that none, a miracle could happen.
2: Yeah, we we um, and, and the team and the players have to believe that as well. Um, look, we're we're nearly out of time in this. Before we go, uh, Jurgen Klopp says Liverpool are out of the title race. Um, I think that's fair enough. Uh, very soon, if they continue in this vein of form, they're actually going to be out of the race for the top four as well.
5: No. No, I'm not having that. They'll be they're out of the title race, hundred percent. Uh they won't win. They won't get near winning the league title, but they're they're definitely not out of top four. I know there's a there's a big gap. But I just even even as a Liverpool support and whatever, I just cannot see this continuing. I just cannot. I cannot see it being drawn out all season. Something has to click with those players. Um Jurgen has obviously tried to slightly adjust with, you know, Tiago and Henderson sitting as the sixes. I just I I'm watching the game yesterday and I'm just looking at the intensity of the players. Certainly when they're attacking Liverpool, you look at the goal, albeit I think Trent miss hits the pass, Luis Diaz chases it down, that that's been Liverpool, that kind of boom bosh, bang, that heavy metal stuff where it's a hundred miles an hour. Like at the moment they're kind of they've got that little bit of Manchester City where they're always passing now. And Arsenal yesterday in transition certainly were just getting numbers by the ball and Liverpool struggled to break them down like Liverpool's goals came from quick passing, quick moving, going at them a hundred mile an hour. Like th- that's one thing that Liverpool are missing. Um, obviously, all Trent struggling for confidence, everything, you know, his positioning for the first goal, you know, that's, that's the killer ball that if any number 10 is coming at someone, you try and slip it in between a centre-half and a full-back for a winger running in. Like you've got to narrow up, you've got to force the ball wide. Second goal, like, Henderson does well to slow, you know, Martinelli down. Obviously, it's three on three to get get bodies back, and then Trent—I don't know what he's doing—just comes steaming across, and you know, Martinelli chops back. I think it's uh, Shymikas is all in the middle on his own. He's left isolated. Ball pulls across. That's a tap in for Saka. Like there's just it's just little moments are like going against Liverpool, but I firmly believe they're far too good, in not finishing the top four. That's that's my take on it.
3: Is Thiago a problem for Liverpool? I know it sounds ridiculous to say it considering how talented he is and how brilliant a passer of the ball he is, but you're talking about them a bit like Manchester City. like That's not the way they've ever been built. They they try and get it forward quicker, whereas he's so like he would fit perfectly into that Manchester City midfield hmm. where he holds on to possession quite a bit more. That Where the Liverpool attackers are always ready to go, he quite often takes the more sensible ball instead of taking the riskier pass.
5: Yeah, I, I know where you're coming from, but then... Even yesterday, after if you, the first five minutes, right, Arsenal just came out like a, like a train um, and they got ahead. But then Liverpool dominated and there was a big question mark, obviously, from anyone who'd be looking at the game yesterday. Obviously, with Liverpool's two midfield, Jota, I know, would join back in. But they were kind of up against, you know, Partey, uh Odegaard and Xhaka. There was that kind of 3v2 dynamic. Wood, you know, that's the incredible thing about Liverpool's front 4s they work so hard that they do get back into good positions and do help out. Like... I can't say... I, can't, I couldn't say that was one of the problems um, because certainly if you look at that period from, you know, minute five to probably minute 45, you know, Henderson and uh, Thiago had a lot of the ball. They had a lot of joy. They were getting on it. They were dictating play. Like Liverpool were the better team for that significant period. Albeit they weren't creating a lot of wholesale chances. Um, so I wouldn't say that, but it's just, it's just other moments that, like, if you look at it, like... Look at Salah yesterday... Like I didn't even you didn't even we're talking about someone who scored bundles of goals the last few years who's been pivotal to everything that Liverpool have done. And I didn't see him yesterday in the game. There's a couple of times he drifts inside, gets the ball, and he sets it back into midfield and it's like that's not the salah we we know and we love that's getting on it, driving. You look at some of the goals he got against Manchester City, United, you know, Everton, where he's getting on the ball in those pockets of space, driving at the, the back line and, and getting shots off. Like two of his attempts yesterday were just fame. Yeah, I say come on, like yeah, you, you, I need more from
1: you.
2: Oh, maybe maybe him having a month off around the World Cup is going to help him recharge and be you know properly on it for the second half of the season when they need it if they are going to make that top four. Oh, we're we're out of time, David. Great to have you with us again. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers, Jens. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, all right, good stuff from David Miler there. If you want to get in touch, 087-9-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Uh, right, we're going to talk with Andy Mitten on Manchester United next. OTB. <laughs> Yeah, it's eighteen minutes past eight here on OTB AM this morning. I'm delighted to say Andy
6: Mitten is with us. Andy, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'm tired. I did uh, was it two games um, last night, and I, I only got back from from Cyprus on um, Friday. Don't realise how far Cyprus is. It's a, almost a five-hour flight away. A lot of football coming up. Manchester United have now got five home games in eighteen days. So. Uh, Busy times. This is
2: the meat of it now. Um, and Busy times, but bouncing into it off the back of an important win after everything that had happened in the previous couple of weeks?
6: I think it was an important win. I think Manchester United played well. Still lots of room for improvement. But coming from behind, away to an informed team with a very tight defence was hugely encouraging for Manchester United, who'd lost the game at Goodison uh, last season. Uh, there were cameos from Cristiano Ronaldo who came on after 27 minutes, replacing Anthony Martial. Uh, Casimiro um, added to just 82 minutes of Premier League football. That's all he's had so far. So for him to start and to get stronger as the game went on after giving the ball away leading to Everton's opener was also encouraging for Manchester United fans. Anthony in the first half, uh, Luke Shaw, uh, David De Gea towards the end. Um, it was it was a really good night, uh, and unusual for Manchester United to be playing at 7pm on a Sunday night, but it was a good night for Manchester United. Having watched Casemiro last night then, Andy, and over the last couple of games, what
3: is he bringing to that Manchester United midfield that Scott McTominay can't bring?
6: When he signed, I spoke to someone very senior at, at Barcelona, and he said to me, without putting his name to it, that he does the invisible things. Players love playing with him. He closes down the space. Defenders love playing behind him. Clearly, he's experienced. Surprisingly good in the air. He won all eight balls in the air in Cyprus. Not that it will be judged uh, most strongly against uh, Cypriot teams. What did he do at Goodison? Well, he missed a sitter with a header just before our time. But he won the ball back in midfield. Uh, read a situation very well and released it straight away forward to Cristiano Ronaldo, who ran onto it and scored. So I found with Casemiro, when you speak to people who play football or manage football, and I did quite a lot of that the last few days, they're absolutely glowing about him. Fans less so because he's not so obvious, but I think United fans saw the way he set that ball up last night saw that he was part of a win, part of a team who came back. Look, he's, he's, he's one of the best midfielders in the world in his, his position. He's got the medals and trophies to prove that. But he has to get used to the Premier League. And when he lost that ball after five minutes, I thought it's a little bit faster in England than it is in Spain. But I don't have any doubts that he, he will do that. It did take Ten Hag a little while to get him in the team.
2: We were having this conversation a little bit earlier on and he played a full game in an hour in the international window and it felt like the first game back after that was the time to get him back in the team or to start this kind of process of getting him the Premier League minutes. But it's not that Ten Hag was reluctant because obviously he obviously picked him last night, but what was behind the slow introduction
6: of Casemiro to the squad, to the, to the starting lineup? Two words. Scott and McTominay. He was playing well. He deserved to keep his place in the team, picking up a few too many bookings, including last night at Goodison, where he was on the pitch for a couple of minutes and he got his fifth booking of the season, which means uh, he'll miss the next league game at home to Newcastle on Sunday, which is almost certain to mean that Casemiro uh, starts again. I think he would have started anyway because I thought he was one of Manchester United's uh, best players, but... McTominay's had a a good start to to this season. Um, When he didn't perform as well against Manchester City, not that any players did, I think that was an indicator to Eric Ten Hag, Okay, I'm bringing my biggest guns in now. We can't afford to be losing any more matches like that, even though Manchester City are a level above Manchester United at the moment. And you don't pay all that money for a midfielder from Real Madrid one who was man of a match in the Super League as recently as August, and then not play him. Granted, he's a totally different type of player to Frankie De who Eric Ten Hag wanted throughout most of the summer. But again, it, it's Casemiro. He's one of the best midfielders in the world.
3: Uh, Anthony scored again, three and three. Uh, really tidy finish. Uh, sort of got under the radar it feels considering they spent so much money on him and the quality of the goals he scored Uh,
6: we should be raving about his performances overall away from the goals what have you made of him I don't think we should rave about his performances I think maybe rave about his goals and his finishing because as you say uh, he's finishing really well and his statistics are good and he's scoring in each match and that's very encouraging for someone who's jumped up from the Dutch League to the top of the Premier League which is where Manchester United are moving towards I think he still needs to do more. I think he had a very good first half last night, quieter in the second half. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Nani. I think he's got to add more to his game, just get a bit more consistent within matches. But he's doing that far more than Jaden Sancho, who lost his place in the team. And with good reason, he was particularly poor against Ammonia in Cyprus on Thursday night. So you'd hope that Anthony continues to improve. He's still very young as he gets used to life in England and and playing at away grounds like Goodison Park, where every single seat is full, raining, the, the fans are really on top here. It's very visceral going to places like that. It's very, it's very real and he, he's passing the test at the moment. But I think the point you're sort of making in the question is his um, overall performance is... And we can ask questions about them. And I think he's got to add more to him. But when you're scoring matches, when you're scoring goals in matches and good goals at that, then that's always going to buy you a lot of credit. It's been compared to Nanny a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing and a bad thing because (laughs) you can do these wondrous tricks and beat a man and go past someone. And then in the next move, you can make completely the wrong option and lose position. And suddenly your team are facing. Uh, a counter attack. At his best Nani was one of Manchester United's best players. I'm thinking 2011, 2012. Uh, at his worst, he was frustratingly inconsistent and drove fans mad. The uh, the injury to Martial.
2: It's interesting that he picked Martial. He, he wanted him to play. He, he wants him. He's given him an opportunity, but um, I think unfortunately there's there's been a pattern where we've yet to see a full season where his body stands up to the rigours of playing as often as the manager wants him to play. So um, Ronaldo comes on and, and gives a, a Ronaldo performance, which is maybe one for the ages. When you think about it, Like he, 700 club goals is is absolutely ridiculous. Like it is, it is completely ridiculous that anybody would score that amount of goals. Messi's about to do it. No other footballer in history has done it. And because of the mood around him and because of what's happened over the last 12 months in particular... Maybe, maybe I don't know, is he damaging his legacy or, or have we forgotten about that? Like, the finish was absolutely sensational last night. And
6: um, maybe we shouldn't forget that he is one of the great footballers of all time. One of the very greatest. I think, firstly, congratulations on 700 goals. It's an incredible achievement that he's still scoring goals. The, the rate's obviously dropped off this season as he's found himself on the substitute's bench. I think him and Messi will be remembered as two of the greatest players ever. And in in the eyes of many people, the two greatest players uh, ever. He's been frustrated. We saw Ten Hag speak of his frustrations last week, which meant he started on Thursday in Cyprus. He didn't score. He looked really frustrated there. Came on after 27 minutes in pretty unfortunate circumstances because it was Anthony Martial going off and... I felt quite sad for Martial. He, he, he did well when he came on in Cyprus and I thought he started the game well at Goodison. He set up Manchester United's first goal. Um, he's clearly a player who Eric Ten Hag likes and I know that coaching staff like him at Manchester United. And even this position was inconceivable at the end of last term. I wrote a piece about him and his loan spell at Sevilla and, and it was a flop, complete flop. So his stock was so low and Manchester United would have definitely considered um, offers for him at the start of the, the transfer window in the summer but he stayed, he had a good pre-season he looks happier uh, but he needs to be playing more matches, it cannot be stop-start um, all all along and it has been uh, w- uh, too much of that with, with Anthony Martial but at his best he's a lovely player to watch, He's speed of foot. He's so quick There were a couple of reverse passes in Cyprus on Thursday. He was playing on the left, he was playing on the right, We're attacking the central spaces. And that ultimately changed the game on Thursday for Manchester United. And he got United back into the game by by setting up Anthony for that really good equaliser. So I'm not aware of the extent of his injury, but I think it would be better to see him back soon, uh, if possible, because he could be an important player this season, but he's got to be playing more. Interesting that it was Jaden Sancho who dropped out of the side, having
3: started every other league game so far this season, and maybe not surprising considering thought he was really poor in the Manchester derby. Didn't give them an outlet at all. The ball just seemed to bounce back off him consistently. And, and even earlier in the season, you know, the games that he was probably getting some credit for, where he got the you know the goal against Liverpool, didn't seem to have a huge influence. What what's the sense on how he's
6: developed at United over over the past year or so? I'm not sure he has developed. He must do more. There's been moments, as you say, the way he took the goal against uh, Liverpool at Old Trafford in in August, but he did nothing in the Manchester derby. He wasn't the only one. But what worried me more was doing nothing on Thursday night in Cyprus. A player of his talents, and I spoke to, to several people who've got a far higher level of football knowledge to me working in the in the professional game, and they were baffled that he should be running at players. The Cypriot players are not the best in the world. And he gave the ball back, played it back after a corner, which led to Manchester United going behind in Cyprus because he played the ball back to a young uh, player who was the only player back to Malassia. And he also came off at half-time. I like the fact that Ten Hag hooks his players if they're not playing well. There you go. You've had your chance. You've not played well. Off. And you're not starting in the next matches. Um, And that creates a good sense of team spirit, I think. Luke Shaw came in for Malassia, played very well at Goodison. But Sancho was was really poor in, in Cyprus and didn't deserve to keep his place in the team. And didn't. So he's got to do what the other players have done. He's got to work hard in training. He'll definitely get another chance. In this month alone, there are nine matches. And when he does, he's got to do a lot, lot more then he has been doing it cost a lot of money Sancho there was a lot of excitement about him when he signed Manchester United pursued him for a long long time and he needs to start living up to that billing and expectation because he's clearly talented results like yesterday are really important in
2: terms of um, being there thereabouts when it comes to finishing in the top four this season I think there's a fair chance we know who the champions are going to be but after that you know uh, let 's wait and see if Arsenal can maintain this form and let 's wait and see if Spurs can maintain this form um, Chelsea have obviously got a new manager bounce, and some of their young players seem to have a, a bit more confidence and a bit of freedom around that and he 's changed the formation, which again we 'll see if that squad is is built for that so it 's up for grabs and you know if, if any of those teams, including Manchester United, were to go on a run of winning games, um, you can see how you 'd build a big lead and kind of you 'd be in the top four. That, that's a really good season from where Ten Hag started the year
6: or or is, are the expectations still higher than that at the moment? I wouldn't say fourth alone would be classed as a really good season. I think Manchester United need to win a trophy as well. Uh, it's now 2017. That was the last time United won a trophy to the uh, Europa League. United are in the Europa League this season, taking it very seriously. You saw the strength of the side which started against the group's weakest team in Cyprus. Probably going to be a strong team that starts again at Old Trafford against uh, Neil Lennon's Ammonia on mm-hmm. Thursday. Uh, I think you, 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 your point is right. The surprise for me is Liverpool. I didn't expect Manchester United to be, uh, I think it's five points clear of Liverpool. I, I, t- I was almost joking about it um, before United played Liverpool. He said, if Manchester United win this game, they go level with Liverpool. And everyone was laughing about it because it just seemed absurd given how poor United's start to the season was. And I didn't expect United to beat Liverpool, but United did beat Liverpool uh, and beat Arsenal. And yeah, Manchester City uh, looked far stronger than everyone else. He looked like just going to walk away with, with the league. Um, Chelsea, as you say, under Graham Potter, he's doing things a little bit differently. I noted that... He's brought Christian Pulisic in and he scored again. He scored for the first time for them at the weekend. Tottenham looked stronger, but Tottenham Tottenham don't win anything. The band from winning anything. So that's going to be a difficult game for Manchester United next week. I'll be interested to see how United go against Tottenham there. But there's got to be far more consistency for Manchester United. One stat I worked out last night was United have got 15 points from the opponents who've played so far home and away. Again, so same opponents home and away last season. United only had 10 points. So that is a significant increase. And I know that stats can prove anything, um, but it is pointing in the right direction, especially when you think United lost those first two two matches against teams that they'd beaten last season. Eric Ten Hag has now won five out of six in the Premier League. Uh, The gap with City was shown uh, last week, but seven or eight games into his Manchester United tenure Pep Guardiola six years into his time at Manchester City and all the indications I get internally uh, lead to positive noises about Eric Ten Hag so I think most Manchester United fans are having their manager That's a really interesting week that's coming up
3: Newcastle at home Tottenham at home Chelsea away in the space of six days that will as you say that consistency if they could put it over those three games you'd really start looking at them as top four just one thing before we leave because we've just been bemoaning UEFA and the fact they put the fixtures out and uh, then said actually disregard that Uh, we may change them and uh, Jare one of those who the flights booked to Paris to see uh, France against Ireland and may not happen now uh, that Chelsea game was only fixed the other day uh, because there's obviously issues um, trying to squeeze all the games in and there seems to be security issues it's maybe not something we're as fully aware of in Ireland around train times and how difficult it is for supporters to get to games you're obviously very in touch with the United fans you just talk about the process of how they put these fixtures on and uh, how frustrating it is for the supporters that you know and how much cost it is for the supporters that they're leaving it so late to announce
6: games I think it's an absolute disgrace what has gone on. The the two clubs and the league and the police have known about this fixture since the 31st of August and didn't settle on uh, time for the fixture until Friday. And you say it might not be as relevant to fans in Ireland. OK, most are not going to Chelsea away. But I know plenty of Irish Manchester United fans who go to all of the away games. I could name 10 of them now who are waiting to book their flights, and the earlier they book them, the cheaper they are, and within a couple of weeks of a really big match away at Chelsea, they don't know when it is. And it's absolutely bizarre. I expect these type of things. I'll tell you where I've experienced these type of things in recent years. Argentina, when the Rosario derby was shifted four days before the game, when I was there. Casablanca, I was supposed to go this month, and it was just moved. You don't expect it in the Premier League. And this isn't on Manchester United. It's not on Chelsea. It's on the Metropolitan Police, who are giving really odd reasons. This isn't a fixture which has been blighted by violence and incident in recent years. It's pretty tame. And for them just to say, we want to reduce the ticket allocation from 2,800 to 1,500 when all those tickets have already been allocated, when fans are waiting to book their travel, and travel's really complicated at the moment, not just travelling by air. There's train strikes going on in the UK. It's expensive. Obviously, we've got the cost-of-living crisis as well. And I think match-going fans get forgotten about too often. And for most people who say they support Manchester United, it's not a major issue to them because they're not at matches. But you've still got 74,000 people going to all the home games, and 3,000 going to every single away game. And if we had the tickets, that 3,000 would be 15,000. So it's a real lottery win when you get one of those tickets. But I think you're entitled to know when the game is. I think it's disgraceful what has gone on. And I'd like to see the Metropolitan Police held to account over this. Their job is to police events, not to decide when those events will be. Yeah, 100%. Andy, great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Thank you. Here's Andy.
2: handy bit in there. You can, of course, read his stuff in United We Stand, also in The Athletic and various other places too. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day. Now, here's Ireland's knee Fahey speaking with her own Ashing O'Reilly ahead of Ireland's massive playoff against Scotland tomorrow night about how far the women's game has come in this country.
7: Yeah, incredible. So you've really seen the growth of the game within Ireland and this squad. I know obviously there's not as many of the players left now, but you've really seen how much it's built within Ireland now.
6: Yeah, it's... it's you know, it's been a, a real kind of joy to watch the progression of the game uh, throughout my career. Um, it's just gone from strength to strength. I uh, never thought probably it would have gone this quickly in, in throughout my career. The change that ha- that has happened, but yeah, I'm so proud to be a part of it and to see where it's at now. And it's only going to go from strength to strength. So, yeah, it's, it's we're in a good moment now. And what would you say are the biggest changes you've seen? Uh, it's it's around everything. Every aspect has changed. From uh, you know player welfare, to training standards, uh, everything, nutrition, um, strength and conditioning, uh, preparation. Every, you know, facet of the game has been changed uh, around the women's game in particular. And I think that's why you've seen the growth and uh, the strength that has that has come through. So, um, yeah, e- every aspect, it's impossible just to pick one.
2: It's uh, Nia speaking with Ashling there um, at the team hotel. That was, I think, before they knew that... Uh, it was going to be Scotland. I think they had a fair idea it's going to be Scotland, and then Scotland needed extra time to get over Austria. Um, and look,
3: I don't think the Scottish team is anything like the injury problems that we have. Uh, no, but they are missing arguably the best player, Kim Little, who at 31 uh, retired from international football and who they would desperately love to have. But uh, in Cuthbert and Weir, they've got two world-class players, and they don't have the level of issues that Ireland have I think the games that we saw on Thursday night uh, watching that Scotland-Austria game and reading the reports in the Wales game probably sum up what tomorrow night's game will be they were incredibly scrappy and nervous games uh, typical playoffs that you just do not want to lose like Wales would have been expected to beat Bosnia quite comfortably needed extra time uh, to beat them so I would expect it will be uh, very very tight at Hampden Park uh, tomorrow night and uh, Ireland will know by the time it kicks off. It's an eight o'clock kickoff uh, tomorrow night for the game against Scotland. It's the last of the playoffs to get underway, so they'll know by then whether or not uh, they have a chance of qualifying automatically for the World Cup, or whether they're just looking for a win to go to the next playoff. It's still pretty complicated. Uh, to put it simply, Jair, most the easiest case is that either Switzerland or Iceland lose and uh, Ireland win, and then they would qualify automatically. But the way UEFA are doing it they're giving you a point if you win on penalties uh, three points if you win after normal time or extra time and that's added to your points from the group <laughs> stage as well uh, so if Ireland were to win on penalties uh, it could actually get uh, quite messy but the main thing is you have to win yeah like
2: uh, even if it, it, we would feel pretty confident about going to the next round of playoffs if we win this right?
3: absolutely if Ireland uh, reached the playoff which is in New Zealand in February they will be by far and away the best team there. They'll be the highest ranked team there. But also it's going to be seeded. It's going to be divided into three different sections with a qualifying place for each section. And the top three seeds will be split up. So the most difficult team you could play is the fourth seed. And they will be well down the world rankings. They're uh, nine teams from all around the world. So even if Ireland were to end up in that, you would expect Ireland to qualify. But ideally, uh, they get the job done tomorrow night. Everything I've read about this suggests it's very much a, a 50-50 game. Scotland with... Uh, home advantage it'll be interesting to see what sort of a crowd they can get to Hamden Park it's obviously a big old stadium there wasn't a great crowd there on Thursday well, night there was
2: there was 11,000 which is well, a record sorry, for there was
3: 11,000 but again it's uh, yeah, in, it in it a big stadium like that you do it's the debate about Ireland going to the Aviva 11,000 in a gigantic stadium actually feels like a very small crowd compared to when Tala is packed and you can generate a bit of an atmosphere so I don't think it's, it's going to be like going into the lines then tomorrow night uh, and having Nifahy is a huge back is a huge boost she missed uh, the games against Finland and Slovakia she's uh, one of Ireland's most experienced players well over 100 caps captain of Liverpool at the moment and she'll just slot in again in defence the problem for Ireland is in the middle of midfield where Megan Connolly who had played centre back uh, in that game against Finland she's injured Risha Littlejohn who had forced her way into the side over the last few games she's out injured as well so Vera Powell is going to have to make a couple of changes and obviously Jess Zoo, who had uh, really started to make uh, inroads into being a first choice selection misses out so Ireland probably missing uh, definitely three of their first choices. you throw Savannah McCarthy who was the first choice centre back in at the start of the campaign into the mix as well there are a few players but listen it's it's a huge huge night like, this is a night we'll be talking about for many years to come if Ireland can win alright uh, Scotland I would say are slight favourites you're saying 50-50 but actually Scotland would be slight favourites well a home advantage and I think the fact that they have you know Caroline Weir in midfield playing for Real Madrid um, Aaron Cuthbert up front didn't see a lot of them in the game on Thursday night I say it was like it was yeah wasn't great. It was a real so, struggle. A, a, so, a header
2: from a corner, a defensive mistake, that's what we're looking at. Louise Quinn, header no. from a corner, 1-0. Yeah, her whole life has been the building Unbandai up one uh, It's 8.42. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Tender Chicken 56 with comment of the day so far. Power move with two buttons undone, Nathan. Two buttons undone? Yeah. What? Sorry, I apologise to the nation, it's a bit early for that, isn't uh, it? No, I mean, everybody wants whatever gets them up in the morning, you know? <laughs> it's that getting anyone up in the morning? Uh, uh, <laughs> Stringfellow Vibes says... Doing quite a bit of the hair. Uh, Carl's with us. Carl, good morning to you, how are you? Very well, and yourselves? Sorry for making you follow that, but, you know... <laughs> how can I follow that? Someone has to. <laughs> it was booing with the um, Stringfellow Vibes uh, line, by the way. I know I said it, but actually it wasn't me at all. So, anyway, how are you? I'm very
0: well. Very well, thank you. Is there too much football on at the moment?
3: What <laughs> too much football? Outrageous, outrageous.
0: You know, I uh, mean,
2: well, we didn't, we didn't need the order of the games. They were no, yesterday. we didn't need United Everton last night.
3: No, the, the, I, you know, first when football uh, sort of got back to normality after COVID, and every game wasn't on TV, I definitely missed it. Yeah, I missed the old. Uh, oh, I did like the Sunday game and the. Uh, the Friday night kick off, but then you go back to actually the other things you could be doing with your life instead yeah, of watching, yeah. uh, like Nottingham Forest, Aston Villa tonight. Does anybody really need say should that should exactly. that should that be inflicted on a on a worldwide audience? No, just give us not. a
2: night off. Yeah, just give us a night off and we can watch Ireland tomorrow. Then the thing about those games being on TV is that it ratchets up the pressure on how bad the manager is. Mm. So, like, it's grand when it's just been the Villa fans watching Villa stinking the joint out because Stephen Jarrett is Stephen Jarrett. But when the rest of the world is forced to watch it, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, he's not very good, is he? Mm. It,
3: it is interesting the dynamic of having your game on Sky compared to just going about your business quietly. So, Leicester, because they won last week on the Monday night, yeah. everyone's talking about James Madison for the World Cup, Have Brendan Rogers, you know, he's got a big smile on his face, we've settled things down. And then on Saturday afternoon, with nobody watching, they go and uh, let Bournemouth come from behind to beat them. Mm. And it doesn't feel like the pressure's been really ratcheted up on, on Rogers again. So, tonight, what you're saying, Jer, is... If Nottingham Forest, who've just given their manager a new
2: contract, which is, I actually think, the first good thing that they've done in terms of, like, long-term planning, right? Because uh, if they go down, he's going to bring them back up, you would hope. But they're probably still going to sack him, are they?
3: You I'm skeptical. just waiting for the... No, I'm waiting for the well, hypocrisy of saying that it wouldn't be in Aston Villa's interest if to they stick beat, with Steven well, Gerrard.
2: Because... Well, what Jared's track record is not of bringing the club up Jared's track record is not of transforming the club they had a guy who did that they literally had a guy who did exactly what Cooper did and they were like no he's not famous he's not he's shiny a he's, he's, he's a Villa fan anyway but well, Villa will stay up will they not? <laughs> come on well they're 16th at the moment they will definitely I don't know will they definitely I don't know but who, who like 6 goals for Villa in 8 games who could you get to manage them you know what, what? How how Rafa Benitez? How appealing is the job?
3: If Rafa Benitez replaces Steven Gerrard, like so, so come on, Gerrard. That's a Rafa, Rafa Benitez for the rest of the season or Steven Gerrard for the rest of the season. And yes, it has to be one or the other. I would give up watching them. <laughs> <laughs> they, if they if they appoint Rafa Benitez after Steven Gerrard, they deserve to go down. Uh, explain to me this: six goals in eight games, but they've got. Any amount of really good attacking talent it yeah, seems yeah. with Ings and Watkins and none of them are doing anything yeah. why is that?
2: Yeah. I'm not sure i um, not sure uh, Ings is
3: very good like Ings is like a sub you bring on for the last half hour ah, Danny Ings is a nice 15 goal a season striker isn't he? Yeah. Ollie bench. Watkins I thought was ready to go to another yeah, level Yeah yeah Ollie Watkins has
2: not made any progress Ollie Watkins is like nine tenths of a brilliant footballer but the bit where your job is to stick it in the back of the net that's the bit that stops it um, Antipas Cogli won't take the Villa job like he's going to get a Champions League job with somebody and he's he's kind of he's been part of that Man City orbit before and so three seasons in the Champions League of experience getting Celtic out of a group he could basically take any job in any of the Super Club jobs he would be in the conversation for um, he got to get Celtic
3: out of a group which uh, yeah it's not going to happen this problems, aren't
2: they, yeah? unlikely at this stage but um, right what else going on? I've depressed him now just talking about
3: Aston Villa for 90
2: <laughs> seconds. <laughs> well, uh, Liverpool
0: uh, out of the Premier League title race, according to Jurgen Klopp. They lost by three goals to two to Arsenal yesterday. The Gunners back uh, to the top of the table. United, Manchester United, that is, 2 1 winners over Everton. West Ham beat Fulham 3 1, and Crystal Palace were 2 1 winners over Leeds. Great game last night at Tala Stadium, where Rory Gaffney netted a 95th minute winner for Shamrock Rovers. That was in a 3 2 victory over Shelburne. It means the Hoops five points clear now of Derry City, four games left to play. In uh, this season the two sides play each other actually in the second last round of games uh, One game in the Premier League tonight as we mentioned Nottingham Forest take on Aston Villa Kickoff for that one is at 8 uh, UEFA says it will issue a new version of fixtures for Euro 2024 Ooh. qualifying After yesterday's draw The fixture details were confirmed last night But UEFA now says an issue has emerged with the original calendar And a new version will be distributed as, as soon as is possible there
2: anything, is, is, Are there any banking experts out there? Can I cancel the flights on my card through SEPA? Isn't that the whole point here's, of SEPA?
3: Here's, here's, here's an idea year, you know, you're mid-40s, you know, it's Paris in the springtime it's autumn, September, autumn, yeah. Paris in the autumn why don't you just add another flight and bring your wife and have a nice romantic uh, weekend in Paris
2: um, add another flight bad for the environment and uh, who'd mind the kids Nathan? Uh, it's
3: fine, no, no listen, I'm just trying to be helpful
2: right <laughs> you're going that. to
3: Paris by yourself one way or another. i have got mates to okay. watch the game Oh, you see as you said you screwed up completely if you thought about this properly you rushed into it you could have stayed for the weekend and you could have gone to the World Cup opener the night after I didn't even look yes. at the World Cup fixtures
2: these two things are like separate they're separate orbs of your brain it's like mm. anyway uh, how many people do you think book flights last night oh ho- like loads and loads and loads to uh, all of the away games because they're great trips yeah Athens is a nice
3: one isn't Amsterdam it? is class yeah. mm. like, unless that's they play in Eindhoven they won't they won't. Uh, anyways, you can get the old train down. Why would they play nine You might be Do fine. They if they play in Lille, if they if they decide they can't play it in Paris or can't play it in the Parc de prince and they go to Lille, you get the it's train to Lille. Lille up in forty five yeah. minutes. Now if they go down to Lyon or Marseille, then you're Screws. in a bit of trouble. Yeah. yeah I haven't been on the TGV. It's, it's not much crack. Um
2: Carl. Yep. Yeah. What happened to your arm? Oh uh I've got a
0: fracture. <laughs> Again in my wrist. Uh, it's been fractured for a while actually. But I only got a check last week Oh Playing through the pain barrier Yeah well I didn't think It was fractured to be honest But it uh, turns out it is So
2: There's the golf career gone
0: Yeah I haven't played golf In three months Nathan Wow Not good
2: Not good um, So I don't know When I'm going to be able To play again But Meanwhile anyway. Joe was overtaking You as the best golfer In OTB Hmm Oh <laughs>
3: He wasn't He wasn't going along with that
0: <laughs> uh, Yeah possibly. Um, possibly We'll have to play A four ball or something Nathan
3: I would like to see you And Joe square off now well, I, I have the handicap, and I think if I did score Three quarters of the night. difference. Yeah, but, uh, you know. Three quarters oh, the
0: difference. Oh, oh, shots
2: fired. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, doubler quits on the golf course yeah. for the award. Yeah. Uh, what's the score? 6-3, is it? Something like that, is it? 7-3? You're, you're, t- you're counting, obviously. I'm not. Um, what did? What happened to you? Ah, just, uh, I think it's a fractured
0: scaphoid, is the oh, medical yeah. term. Yeah, whatever that is. Playing so football? The thumb. Yeah. Yeah. punching lads.
2: That's how that happens. Yeah,
0: yeah, don't do it. Don't do it, folks. Um it's like a football championship Big bones. Yeah. yeah. Drink more milk, I think is the uh is the answer. Out from the mountain. Yeah.
2: Um so the club fixtures uh, busy weekend. Oh god,
0: there were so many county finals.
3: Nothing but relentless negativity about the Kildare final. Yeah, I was uh, <coughs> Don't listen to other radio sessions, but I was flicking, flicking while ad breaks were on and um they went to the uh, reporter um the Kildare football final. Who said, "I'm sitting beside a man who's been at every Kildare final since 1970." And he said, "This is by far and away the worst one he's ever seen."
2: I see somebody on Twitter this morning saying the same thing. That uh, since 98, he could remember okay. that, that was the worst. Well, 1970. It uh, was well, the negativity of the the teams uh, unwilling to put everybody behind the ball. That basically the trend a decade ago in senior and county football is now
3: i its way to general all
2: over Ireland. I think mm. I think it's general all over Ireland, not just
0: Kildare Um well one twelve to six points, yeah. Nice. Now the weather was quite bad yesterday everywhere as well. So I mean there was a, quite a few low score matches in Longford, it was one seven Cotton Kill beat Munenocta, um one eight to seven in Westmead, the Downs beat Saint Loman's. Uh, Port Arlington beat O'Dempsey's in leash by two thirteen to eight, one ten to one eight it was in Wicklow for uh, St. Pat's against Bolton Glass. The Antrim final actually went to extra time, one eighteen to three nine. Cargan beat Aghallon in that match, and then the Laud final was a draw, one twelve apiece between R.D. St. Mary's and Newtown Blues. So, um, yeah, I mean the weather was quite bad
2: yesterday. Yeah, so even the best footballers in the country, yeah, each other in Kerry, and yeah, um, I saw bits of it. Like it was tricky for them. Yeah, um,
0: but I think, like, I mean, I think the club season and the split season has been a huge success so far. And, you know, I think we mentioned it last week, Chair as well, that um any county players that have been speaking about the new calendar have been glowing in terms of their endorsement of it, um so far. And I think, you know, that's that has to be the the baseline for the decision makers in terms of if the, the players are happy with it. I think that has to be that has to be the main opinion that's taken forward. Uh the anecdotal evidence will suggest that the crowds are quite big. Um I, I think I counted eleven or twelve pages in the Irish Examiner this morning of coverage of club matches, which is brilliant. And the longer that it's left in place, the more time there is for it to bed in and for people to become accustomed to club teams, maybe that aren't from their county, to buy into different stories around the country. So uh, I think I don't it's know been about that part of it,
3: and I don't think there needs to be that part. I think the club is what it is and as you say big crowds local communities coming together on a Saturday or a Sunday and going out supporting their team and you're never going to care about Nathan Selbridge and not not particularly but that doesn't mean I I don't think Nathan Selbridge shouldn't have their day and I'm definitely wary of um, you know not uh, being a uh, a club player of saying well it would be my interest if the inter-county season went on all year long so that I'd have something to watch on the TV (laughs) at the weekends uh, for my entertainment but like for an awful lot of people um Particularly, I think outside of Dublin, like they, you know, it's it's, it's what sustains them over, over these months.
0: Yeah, and I think um, you can appreciate the other storylines. I think you know if you're involved and in stuff, you can appreciate a club making a breakthrough for the first time or whatever. I think you can buy into that. But as you say, Nathan, if for players that aren't from the capital, uh, to have that certainty around the calendar is so important to, right. to play club football.
2: Call. good stuff. Thanks, that uh, More from Call across the day, of course, on uh, Newstalk and uh, wherever you're getting your sports these days. 8.53 OTBA, I'm live each morning with Gillette Labs uh, for an effortless finish to your day. Time for us to turn our attention to rugby and Alan Quinlan is with us. Alan, good morning to you. How are you?
4: Good, thanks, lads, and yourselves. There's
2: only one place for us to start here, uh, again.
3: Groundhog Day.
2: What's going on? Again,
4: again yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 incredible, isn't it? It's as it's the same thing the last few weeks but um, yeah Munster in a difficult place now you know um, it's getting worse isn't it and it's getting more challenging for them um, obviously I was thinking about this before I come on um, are we going to give the the full slot talking about what's wrong with Munster or giving Connacht's credit I think um, obviously Munster a big story because it's kind of concerning not just um, this match but the previous matches probably the failure to get that bonus points against Zebra last week, that's the one that really kind of highlights where they're at: um, lack of confidence, cohesion, their discipline is is baffling, uh, bafflingly bad. Um, and some people would say I was probably not great at the penalties at times myself, but um, they're making life so much so difficult for themselves. And um, again, on Friday night, you'd have to say it was. Uh, It was a really poor performance.
2: Are there any specific small things that can lead to a a fast recovery here? Like, um, you know, we've seen teams before where one week they look terrible, the next week all of a sudden they bring extra aggression, they control their play at the breakdown and the game is transformed because suddenly the backs have a split second extra on the ball and their creativity shines. Are we, are we in that scenario where they're thinking too much, it's all a little bit self-conscious and if they can just get into a little bit of a state of flow there will be a significant improvement or is it something far more fundamental than that?
4: Um, it's worrying, Jer, uh, because I think we've seen Munster over the years when they've had a bad run of a game or two that um, they've been able to rely on the emotional reaction and maybe not the quality and performance but a real fight and desire and and energy uh to get them a result and to kind of get them back on track i think the way the fixtures have fallen this year um you know the first two away games they needed a the zebra game really to to rack up 40 50 points um and you know when you go back to that game the first half you think three tries after 26 minutes you think they're going to get something here just to get a bit of a feel-good factor but i think sport can be unforgiving at times when you're in a tough place um is confidence can be affected, um, belief, and I think obviously there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of moving parts trying to change the way they play. Um, Ten players away with merging Ireland, um, lots of injuries, particularly now in the in the back three going into that the last two games. Um, so is there a quick fix solution? Are you going to see something change here? And it's hard to see it because. of the the fixtures in the next couple of weeks um, with the Bulls at home, Leinster away and and then Ulster go to Thomond Park as well. So um, it's getting tougher and tougher and, you know, when you're in a difficult place in sports, you just need to get some sort of a result. Friday night was, that again, a great opportunity for that. Um, You know, when they're 8-5 up um, in the second half there, they go 11-5. You think they're just needing a little bit of control here. Uh, Dog it out a little bit, be tactically good. Um, put Connacht on the back foot a little bit and um, they, were, they weren't capable of doing that, you know. Connacht reacted with a, you know, uh, they, they they certainly believed that this was their chance of taking a scalp and winning a game and getting their feel-good factor within the group. But it's worrying, Jared, that... Because there's so much going on. Um, I, I don't see the you know, you bring Jack Crowley and Calvin Nash and Shane Daly back into the into the backline Anton Frisch. Of course they'll bring a new impetus and probably a real feel-good factor after the merging Ireland tour, which should be beneficial for them. And Thomas Ahern, Dermot Barne, Candellan, Salanoa, Josh Richley, these guys back in. Um <laughs> Not, I'm not really sure, can they change things dramatically against the Bulls who will come with a full side and their South African internationals and a lot of power and strength. So Big game. Um, all
2: of a sudden, it's like a big, big game, isn't it?
4: Yeah, they're all getting, they're all big games now and I think all eyes are on Munster. I think he um, just had a really deflating kind of feeling on, on Friday night. <laughs> you know what? It's hard to see the results coming in the next few weeks, but it is what it is. They're in this position. Um, I, if I was a player in the dressing room, you know, you'd be feeling the pain of and, and the disappointment of it. But they've got to try and stick together and, and, and claw their way out of this. Really, it's not a case of a lot of internationals are going to come back and fix everything, and they're going to get their best team out in the field. Um, I think when they get their best team out in the field, obviously they'll, you know, they'll, they'll be able to. Give most teams a game and, and get results, but that's not the nature of the league. And, and and it's it's a really difficult situation for them. And and there's it's you're trying to find a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel here, but it's difficult because there's a lot of self destruct here as well from the players with their with their you know. I, I just looked at a game the other night. They come up with a big play, a big turnover from Byrne or Peter O'Mahony, and or a steal line uh, in lineout in a vital area. You take away a little bit of impetus from from Connacht, um, and then you know Ben Healy misses touch twice from penalties. Um, the ones that are kicked down the touch line, they lose the next line out. They, they, they've no ruthless kind of relentless kind of pressure that they put on the opposition, uh, and their body language is kind of indicating that. So I think the players are trying hard, um, and obviously they're trying to to fix this. And there's certain things in that game, and and you have to be respectful to Connacht. Like it isn't the case of Munster should go up there and win win the game by, you know, 10, 12 points or fifteen points or whatever. But there's a vulnerability about this team now that that everybody is going for, and um, the, the the proof is in the results. So it is very worrying and concerning. I think one of the things that jump out are the penalties. As I said, fifty two penalties, and the pressure came on Connacht there at the end of that game and uh, they just give away lots of penalties which is is really killing them 52 in in the four games is 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 a very very high number and they're not scoring points either they're not scoring tries um they're making no line breaks it's practically bleak. whatsoever yeah yeah. It is
3: bleak. Like there's nothing that you can point to and say well we're doing this right and we're doing that right. Well, Connacht left the door open yeah. for them as well. Like uh, Connacht should have been well ahead at half time. Uh, Munster found themselves in a position actually where Connacht had also, you know, lost their opening three games. there can't have been a huge amount of confidence there. There's a huge opportunity. Like it, it, as you say there there's it's very bleak. What does Graham Roundtree do? Does he does he look at those emerging Ireland players and say you're all going straight in? You, you, like what happened on, on Friday night against Connacht is unacceptable to seven eight of those players. You're coming out. You're not going to play against the Bulls. You're not going to play against Leinster. Like do do some of the individuals need to be taken out of this?
4: Yes, they do, um, and that's the reality. Um, they've got to be taken. He's got to change something up now and 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 try and look to play the younger players. I think because it doesn't get any easier net in the next few weeks. So if you're going to possibly end up um, still struggling and still maybe losing games, um, you need to, you, there needs to be a change, you know, there needs to be a change of the guard. And look, this, this, this is, go- this is going back. This does, there's, there's maybe we all didn't realize how, how kind of difficult and, and uh, bleak this situation uh, is. Um, You know, there's problems there for a number of years and uh, there's probably, you know, player recruitment, um, the coaching style, maybe the standards, um, fitness levels. They don't look the fittest team. Um, So I think there's, you have to put in young players there as as best you can um, and make changes. Obviously, um, you don't just kind of throw everything away. They'll have to try and keep some power and strength and experience for the Bulls of the weekend. But um, I think if, if if there's going to be any kind of um, positivity garnered, they've got to strip this right back again and, and, uh, and look to try and see and develop for the future. I think a few people have mentioned to me, I think people mentioned obviously a lot in the last couple of weeks about Joe Schmidt losing the first number of games when he came in. People are hoping that that's the case here. Um, but also in, in 2015 16, I think Leinster, um, you know, unearthed a lot of really good young players when they played them in Europe. They'd lost five games in the pool stages. And so when they, George Smith
3: came in, Leinster won the Champions Cup 18 months previously and had some of the greatest players of all time. Yeah. Like this is a yeah. Munster I, side that have been on a, a drift for many years at this stage.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like for like here. Um, so it's, it's, it's really worrying. But it's a reality now. So this is the reality of where Munster are at.
2: So get on with uh, it,
4: basically. Te- technically, they're the fourth best team in Ireland at the moment. And, that, and that's, that's the reality. Yeah. None of those Munster players can go in this morning thinking they should be on Irish teams now because they're part of a group that's really struggling. They've got to stick together. Um, they've got to try and figure it out themselves and get better. I think they are better than what we've seen. Um their confidence is, is 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 all over the shop I think and now there's a nervousness that's there that's probably translating into their performances. Um some of the basics there are you know really alarming, I think. You know, like I said, big play in a game, big turnover, kick the ball down the field, lost line out straight away. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you just can't yeah. win matches like that.
2: Not not to make this all about Munster, like uh, Connacht have to get some credit for it, but as Nathan said, Connacht... Like they are also a team who were short of confidence and looked like that at stages, but managed to stay together enough to get through that test. Uh, how important was it for them to get that? Because their season was also really like it had been a terrible start by their standards uh, under difficult circumstances, notwithstanding. But all of a sudden, a full house, a new pitch, and they can feel good about life.
4: Yeah, they can feel good about life maybe till Friday night as long as they back it up and uh, it gets incredibly difficult for them as well, with Leinster coming going there and Friday night to sports round. But yes, it's you know, they played three tens in a Jack Carty and David Hawkshaw, Connor Fitzgerald, and I think the for the Finlay Beelham try, Connor Fitzgerald's kick was, was outstanding. Um he put his team right down there. Um Connor Phillips you would say Probably should have kept the ball in fields, um, but I think they can feel really good about themselves. I think, and, and sometimes it is back to a bit of brass tacks when you're when you're struggling, and they showed a lot of fight and and a real tempo and energy in that that particularly in that second half to you know just look like they were in, in control against Monster, like really kind of concerning and stuff. Maybe it's not. Um, Maybe it's disrespectful to Connacht to t- for me to say something like that because they do deserve a lot of credit. They're, you know, they've less resources. Um I think Munster obviously is still a big scalp for everyone, but where Munster are at at the moment, it's um it was uh maybe we were naive to think that that's, you know, this Connacht shouldn't win this game, that Connacht won't win this game. I thought Munster might go there and get a result and and claw their way through it. But Andy Friend has, uh, you know, said it after the game. There was lots of mistakes from both sides, but they had more of a fight. They had more of an energy and an urgency about them. So they could build on that and they were very physical um, and they put a huge amount of pressure on on Munster's scrum, their breakdown and forced him into a lot of mistakes and defended unbelievably well at times and really, has had all those energy busters um, throughout the game when when they you know the, obviously with the crowd behind them as well so it was, um, it was a great result for them Jack Carty missed those three kicks so it could have been a bit more and it was the same as that result last year where it was 10-8 last on Jan- the 1st of January last year it should have been a lot more and this one you could say the same and the best team won on the night and deserved yeah, to win
2: yeah uh, the performance that Leinster put in um, I'm sure the defensive analysis that happens this morning will be like, oh, how how did we manage to concede? But the attacking analysis will be like, well, we're we're pretty good at this game when uh, we have the ball and we're in full flow. So one of those matches that um, went up and down, up and down, loads of tries. I don't know if everybody likes seeing that, but it was pretty exciting.
4: Yeah, it was an incredible game. Um, just, it was one of those ones where the, the clock just flies by and it was... Um, you know, the Sharks are missing a, a good few players. They're internationals and, you know, it kind of, it kind of felt the way Lencer started the game and scored so early in the game that they would, it would be kind of one-way traffic. But, um, they were brilliant, the Sharks and led a couple of times during that game and was really tight, um, up to the last kind of 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes where Lencer kicked away. They scored eight tries, but they conceded five and the five they conceded were outstanding scores. I think the attack and the lines are running of the sharks and if you bring in back back into you know, you think Eben Etsabeth, uh Hendricks at a scrum half, Lucanu am Umbanambi the hooker, Mepimpi the winger, uh Shade at the, the prop, Khaleesi, the South African captain, if you put them back into that side, um and this, this makes it even more worrying for the likes of Munster and Connacht to try and get Champions Cup. The South African teams are absolutely flying it and they're going to be very, very difficult. Uh, it's it's The four of them could be in Europe. Um, it's It makes it so much harder for, for the likes of Munster and Connacht now to try and get Champions Cup yeah. or even get in the playoffs. It was a brilliant game. But Leinster, I think they showed their... Their metal and the contrast of that game on Saturday to to what was on Friday night was was miles apart. Um, They were absolutely brilliant. And the the, the depth, um, Sexton, again, showed unbelievable fight, drive, desire, wanted to stay on the field for the whole game. If there's any fault... Uh, he probably had a few interventions with the the referee and a good few occasions which came out on on TV a fair bit. But um, Lencer were really really impressive.
2: Uh, Ulster also going particularly well at the moment. Kind of a little bit under the radar in some ways, but um, they've had injury problems. They've had players who they want to have in their squads who uh, are obviously away with the Emerging Ireland. and will be back obviously next week. But um, apart from that one week where. Uh, against Leicester they've been machine like
4: yeah they have um, very impressive and look really confident in what they're doing um, getting a little bit of an edge scoring tries again from malls being really physical with the opposition now it was a different Ospreys team um, they're down um, a good few players um, as regards the Welsh internationals but um, it had a an in- inevitable kind of feeling early on again. They, they, you know, the game was over at half time They were t- utterly dominant. Um, and I think when they get their tails up, Ulster in, in the Kingspan, they can they, they, they play they play some brilliant rugby. Um, the flow, the pace, the tempo to their game is very impressive. So um, Luke Marshall was brilliant in the centre. Nick Timoney um, just so. So involved in everything, um, Marcus Ray. Um, they have a lot of a lot of flow to their game at the moment, and they look to be in a really good place. It's not the hardest fixture in the world with respect to the Ospreys. Um, so you know, Leinster exposed a few frailties to be at the top level, um, but they're full of confidence at the moment, and you know they blew the Ospreys away with that performance on on Saturday night.
2: All right. Pretty good stuff We'll leave it there for now Plenty more uh, talk during the week Thanks a million Alan
4: Cheers lads Thanks
3: Breaking news Oh Celebrations Celebrations Now Potential celebrations In yeah. the Delroy household Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I just realised of course Could still be a lonely man In the pub in Paris On a uh, Saturday night Not the worst Not the worst Outcome If that's Is That uh, invite to Backstage at the Moulin Rouge it's still Thursday open night. From 2016 well, That was never
2: made to me I didn't was go for it oh, you didn't. How did you find out about it? Do they I they,
3: they targeted you today. Well, well, Invites uh, it down. It was one of those uh, terrible invites. Uh, where I was like, oh, do you want to come to the Moulin Rouge? Uh, we'll give you the full backstage tour and everything. It's like oh, unbelievable. Oh, yes, of course we will do such a thing. I uh, just turn up at midnight. The Moulin Rouge is uh, a fancy strip joint. Just, just turn up at midnight. Is that what it is? Uh, just turn up at midnight and uh, bring your 180 euro that we're going to charge you for the pleasure. Well, this. Well, like, uh, uh, God damn it, that's not what we're looking uh, for it's not on my Anyways, the big midnight news, either. Jared. The big news. No change to the fixtures. No change to the fixtures. So they remain as is date wise. Uh no venues yet, they there's no Russian venues, the um they don't need to announce the venues until um a few months beforehand, so I expect that they, they will announce earlier than that. They need the to like tell to everybody it. where to go. Uh yes, they do, but it's not until next September. Yeah,
2: but like the fans need to book tickets.
3: Yeah, because I can imagine in the French Football Federation right now, all they're thinking about is the Jerry the Gilroys of this world and how they might be, well, you know, stuck in Paris. They, they have um, the
2: ability to forward plan, I would assume. They have a whole office's job, but it's just to get the fixtures, right? Anyway, um, yeah, like it's the games. It's the France-Holland games. Will they be important? You kind of assume they won't be that important. They'll Why won't they be important? T- because they'll just beat everybody else.
3: Well, the we two don't know. See, I think this is you can, yeah. don't know what's going to happen in all the other games so Greece suddenly so you you manage to go and beat France at home and you have a Shane Long style moment and then France draw away in Greece suddenly if you win your games against Greece and you win your games against Gibraltar you've got quite a head start on them so France-Netherlands is the first game so Ireland have a a break night on the first night of fixtures uh, where I presume the way UEFA work they probably have to play a friendly against somebody uh, but it's France-Netherlands and Uh, Gibraltar against Greece and then Ireland play France in Dublin on the Monday night 27th of March so if the Dutch have gone and won in Paris where presumably they'll play that game uh, and then Ireland can take something against France suddenly the French are in crisis uh, Greece seemed decent yeah they have a decent squad there now their their squad looks not dissimilar to an Irish squad when you go through it, and there's not too many goals scored by anybody. No goals. They they so, uh, the games are all one nil
2: basically. They beat Kosovo two nil. They beat Cyprus three nil, but Northern Ireland they beat one
3: nil. Um, they beat them three one actually at home. Um, the draw is so lopsided. Like you look at the draw that Northern Ireland got. Like Ireland could not have been more unlucky uh, with firstly the top suits top two sides they got. Obviously. If, Italy and England in another side in with Ukraine as well so two more of the better teams like Wales are in with Croatia Armenia Turkey and Latvia and they might feel that they were unlucky to get uh, Turkey in there another group Poland Czech Republic Albania Faroe Islands Moldova yeah not great for us
2: um, and maybe it is great that all those mid-ranking teams who are slightly ahead of us will all get in automatically
3: it's just the good teams you'd be concerned about Northern Ireland of Denmark Finland Slovenia Kazakhstan and San Marino
2: yeah we, we would have fancied our chances, would we? Who's out Denmark and who? Finland. Yeah, okay. Uh, Norway were the the team that Scotland got. That was the benefit of them finishing. So they've got to deal with Erling Haaland. And Spain. Twice, yeah. So Spain, obviously Spain will finish as their number one. Scotland were the number two. And then Norway was the most difficult team after that. Right. Uh, 16 minutes past nine. OTB AM brought 20 by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio today. Uh, James McLean is OTB Gold at one o'clock Splunk at three our classic game club is Dublin versus Kerry in 2001 OTB Gold is Ray Boom Boom Mancini and the show is live tonight with Joe Malloy in the hot seat from seven Stephen Kenny Stephen Kenny's on the show all tonight yeah talking about the uh, the fixtures follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB podcast network for all the best in the latest sports content we're back after these with the Anfield Raps Harriet Pryor on just what the hell's going on with Liverpool at the moment next OTB Harry Pryor, good morning to you. How are you?
7: Yeah, morning. I'm not bad. Thanks. How are
2: you? Um, so, last week it, it felt like the change in formation was something that might unlock better performances from everybody in the team. And fast forward to yesterday, and that has not been the case. What do you think is at the core of why Liverpool's league form is so bad at the moment?
7: Oh, honestly, I wish I could answer that question simply. I think I wish that I think the manager wishes he could as well. It, it just feels like there was a total lack of confidence, and we're just being played through far too easily. I mean, I, I feel like it's been a running theme this season that we've got on the back foot really quickly. And yesterday it was quicker than ever. And it, I, I walked into the pub a minute late, and we were already a goal down. I think that just sums it up, doesn't it? Really. And then straight away we're on the back foot and having to find a way back, and we did find a way back twice. But when you're constantly on the back foot and looking for a way to get past, and and, and not even. in the lead in the game you never have control I think we've just lacked control at too many times this season and it gets in the player's head and, and as a result the performance was so scrappy I think that's the best way to describe it it was like none of them wanted to take responsibility none of them knew where they should be none of them None of them looked like they were in the right position. None of them were getting back and tracking back well enough. And, and the defensive line was was really bad. So there's there's loads of problems. And I think the new formation looks a lot better against Rangers. But we came up against Arsenal, who are a much higher calibre of, of opposition. And, and we really struggled. So it's a, it was a really disappointing performance.
3: Poor Trent is in that position that every time Liverpool can see the goal, the camera comes straight on him on the assumption that he is responsible. I don't know how much you can blame him for the first goal but the second goal in particular uh, really struck me as a player who is uh, totally out of form and lacking confidence like dashing across trying to prove that he could get across and help cover when the sensible option was just to stay put does it feel as if this injury is picked up it it might be a blessing in disguise in a way to just take him out of the spotlight for three four weeks
7: I don't think I'll ever call an injury a blessing especially at the moment with the the situation we are having more injuries creep in Look, I think it's really easy, isn't it, to make Trent a go, and I completely agree for that. For that second goal, I think he looked panicked. I think he came across when he should have just stayed in the position he was in. But I think that's all coming from a lack of confidence and an awareness of the spotlight is on him. So he needs to be seen to be to be doing something. I, I do. I do feel feel for him because I think he has made it, escape route for a lot of things. I think a lot of the time it is starting with the fact that the press isn't good enough at the other end. The attackers aren't tracking back in the way they used to, not putting as much pressure on the ball, and it's leaving more holes in defence. The defenders aren't doing well enough either. The control of the midfield isn't there, and you can go through the pitch and identify problems, can't you? And, and I guess Trent being in the wrong position when a lot of their goals come down, the opposition goals come down that side is is a problem. Um, I do we have to wait and see the extent of the injury? The same with Diaz. I, I personally wouldn't want him to be out for very long. I think he's one of the, the, you know, on his day, the best players in in this team. And like all of them, we all know their ability and how well they can play. It's just not happening at the moment. They're not playing as a unit, and that's what's frustrating me the most. I think a lot of their success in recent seasons has come from this cohesion that they all had. They all seem to sense where each other are without even knowing and looking. And this year it just feels like there's a total lack of cohesion and they're all playing as individuals and not as a a single unit.
2: Is that in any way energy related? Are they they doing less work? Uh, That seems to be the, the sense that some people have is that they're not actually programmed the way they were. And as a result... The, the running isn't cohesive, so they don't do it in groups. And because they're not doing it in groups, one person goes to try and close down. They're on their own. They're isolated. So they stop. It just feels like there's, that confusion is leading to what we termed intensity was, was spoken about earlier on. But that as a result of that, they appear to be less intense because it's not like they don't want it. Surely they're like they obviously are desperate for success.
7: Yeah, definitely. And I think they are desperate for success. And you can also see how much it's annoying them all and upsetting them all that it's not happening at the moment. I think it might come down to the the fact that if all of them are 2%, 3%, 4% off the game, at this level of professional football, you cannot afford for every single player on that pitch to be trying 2% less hard, to be running about 3% less. It's just that those tiny margins... And making such a big difference when we're getting caught in, in certain moments and getting caught on the break really quickly. And I, I don't know if it's particularly an effort thing because, like you mentioned, they all want it. They all want to try hard. They all want to be winning football matches. But I think some of it comes down to the fact they are... Maybe they're mentally exhausted, maybe they're physically exhausted. I know, a lot of people talk about hangover from last season. I'm not sure how much that has an impact. I think Virgil van Dyke seemed to suggest that, that they might still, you know, especially at the beginning of the season, they might still be suffering from, from the consequences of the end of last year. But Ultimately, now they they need to regroup and and kick on from here. They can't be thinking back to last season because yes, we we're in the final of everything, but now we're in a position where we've got to be we've got to be picking up points in the league to be pushing on for top four, let alone winning a title. Which you know Klopp suggests is we're not in the race anymore. So yeah, I think if every single person the pitch is running two percent less, trying two percent less, that's contributing to a worse performance overall. And then and, and we're not winning football games. That's the bottom line of it.
3: It's been interesting listening to Klopp's press conferences over the last couple of weeks. I've never heard him discuss tactics as much as he has and explaining what the roles of players are, what Trent Alexander-Arnold's role in defending him by saying, actually, you know, I don't don't look at him as a defender. I look at him as someone who I want to push far up the pitch. And again, talking about that breakdown between the different lines. uh, He's gone into a lot more depth. I'm wondering about your confidence levels of his ability to turn this around because... The one previous crisis Liverpool had was was put down to a lot of injuries at the time, but they really did struggle to turn that round. They managed to scrape through to a Champions League place miraculously in the end. That this is getting away from them, I, I, do you see enough from Klopp that he's he's ready to make the changes that are necessary to get the confidence back and get the results turned?
7: Yeah, I have no doubt in the manager. To be honest, if, if there's one person that I'm absolutely not doubt, doubting, it's the manager. And you can look at certain substitution that you don't agree with, and that's all well and good. But if there's anyone that is going to be able to turn this around, it is, it is Klopp. So for me, there's absolutely no doubt that he is the right person to to be in this position and to be taking Liverpool forward. And he's mentioned lots of times that you can try and identify problems, and the solutions take a lot longer to come around. I, I think he is. He is the only person that I really trust to be able to get the best out of these players and to be able to get their confidence levels back up to where they should be. So, yeah, absolutely for me, I don't want to get dragged into any conversations about whether, that, that, whether Jürgen Dopp is the right person to be managing Liverpool, because he absolutely is.
3: What about the fans' attitude towards the owners at the moment and what happened during the summer in terms of investment away from Darwin Nunez? Like. You look at Manchester City, they score more goals than anybody else last season, they win the league and they go out and sign the best young striker in the world. And even Arsenal's resurgence, as well as Mikel Arteta's done, like they've improved because they've signed really good players. They signed Gabriel Jesus, they signed Alexander Zinchenko. They've had a plan over the last year of signing really good, talented young players. It does feel as though Liverpool have rested on their laurels a little bit, particularly in that midfield area. And does that come down to the owner's reluctance? to spend the money necessary. Because when you do go back over the recent history, like Liverpool's success has come from buying Alisson, from buying Virgil van Dijk, from buying the best players in their position in the world, and they've stopped doing that.
7: Yeah, I definitely think there needs to be a, a refresh in the squad and a lot of that does need to come from a, a reinvestment in the squad and I think the frustration is maybe that it hasn't happened in the in the summer transfer window, particularly looking at midfielders. But you could maybe argue over the last few seasons when we've been on top, that's that's the time we should continually be strengthening and maybe for the last couple of transfer windows that hasn't happened. Having said that, they did bring Diaz in and they did bring Nunes in and you can look at a, a lot of individuals they have brought in that have really improved this side. However, there's not been enough, particularly in midfield, particularly in that area, I think it's frustrating for a lot of Liverpool fans that we've come into this season with with so many midfielders who we know are injury-prone, who we know are ageing and and who we know are too young to be making a real impact week in, week out, and we haven't got many in that middle ground who can really make an impact. And, and look, you're in a position now where... If Thiago is fit, if Henderson is fit, if Fabinho if is fit, you've got three really good midfielders. As soon as one of them drops off, you, you, you're really struggling and people even questioning you know, the, the midfielders' forms I said there and they didn't have their best game yesterday either. But that particular area is a sense of a source of frustration for all Liverpool fans and I understand that and that's only for, for future transfer windows to sort out. We can't do that now, so we're going to have to look internally for solutions in the, in the meantime.
2: Any idea what's going on with Mo Salah?
7: Um, <laughs> no, but he does. He does look devoid of confidence. I think, like a lot of them, he he's not been able to make the impact in in the game that I, I think he'd have liked to, and he down that right-hand side, combining with Trent, that their link-up is usually so smooth, so solid. You can really continually see the positions they're trying to get in for each other. And At the moment, he's become a little bit, you know, a little bit anonymous in some games. He, he didn't make a, a really big impact just And I think in, when he's had really good seasons or really good months, it's because he's literally continually made an impact in every single game. And opposition are putting two defenders on him to deal with him. They've not had to do that at the moment. He, he's not... The threat that he once was. Do I believe that he will get back to that level again? Yes, but I believe that about all of them. And and, you know, I would never have said in that in that season where we lost all our defenders that we would have ended up with Champions League football. So I don't think all is lost at at this point. I don't think all the all the players that are playing not at their best won't get back to that level. I think a lot of people are suggesting that sort of Salah done. I'm not on that page. Only time will tell. But he, he certainly does look to look devoid of confidence in and devoid of the impact that he usually
2: has. Is there anything to do with um, Sadio Mane not being in the team that the the partnership that they had, although, you know, I don't know, if the, whatever that level of creative tension they had, it certainly inspired them both to uh, greatness, that he just doesn't quite have that. It's not just Trent, it's actually with the other forwards as well.
7: Yeah, I think that's interesting because actually, from, from all the problems that we've had, I wouldn't necessarily say that losing Sadio Mane is one of the the, the major ones because I think that he was majority of the time playing on the left for Liverpool and Diaz has come in and fulfilled that role really well. So if you're talking man for man, have we replaced Sadio Mane? I think we did with Diaz and obviously then we brought in another another forward to come through the middle. So I, I don't necessarily think that that Salah Omane was the reason that Salah's levels were pushed so high because I think he sets his own expectations. He makes sure that he's, he's playing to his own high standards. Maybe, obviously, like your, your teammates obviously do for sure. And I think that they'll still be doing that for Salah. So for, for me, Salah Omane leaving, yes, he's missed. And yes, there's definitely been times this season where I'd love him to to have been in the team and been able to make an impact. But I don't I don't attribute the problems we're having to his departure.
2: What is the mood like in the pub with the fans? what are they saying you know because obviously you're you're taking a long term view here and you believe that um, things will right themselves over the course of the season however whatever it is that sparks that is that the general view or is there a bit more despair going considering the high highs that the team has been at um, so recently that they're so far away from them at the moment
7: yeah obviously everyone has their their own viewpoints and own experiences of how they want to support the football club there's a lot of frustration I would say and I think that there's times in the game where you can literally feel, you know, when we can see the goal early and it, and it feels like everyone just goes a bit quiet because it's almost inevitable, but there's not a sense of shock or surprise anymore when we go a goal down. I think that's maybe the worst thing that it's like, it's a sense of inevitability that we're going a goal down. And then a sense of, of of lack of belief that we can get back and, and and win the game. And I think when we went three two down yesterday, everyone had kind of everyone I was watching with kind of just accepted that, that that might be it. We might not be able to find a way back into the game, and that is how it transpired. So, yeah, obviously some some fans are you know. Further along that level of frustration, some are more positive about it. I think it's difficult to find a lot of positives about the game yesterday, definitely. But it's it's just a bit of a it's it's just really frustrating when you know what the team's capable of because it's not a million miles off the, of a team that played so incredibly last season. It's only one real personnel change, and I don't believe that's had that, that as big an impact as there's the downfall of the, of the team so far this season.
2: All right, Harry, right, we'll leave it there. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Thank you. It's Harriet Pryor from the Anfield Rap giving us some thoughts on that. Will the fans get pissed off at the owners? Like at some point do <sighs> they realise that there's so. been a,
3: an alchemist managing to turn the base lead into gold? Look, they are obviously going up against uh, a uh, Manchester City side with all that money from Abu Dhabi. And maybe this is the natural cycle that Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, Manchester United have gone through that it's impossible to sustain things against Manchester City right now. And I do wonder about Luis Diaz, I understand that he plays in the same position and he's actually been one of Liverpool's best players this season and he'd be a big loss, but he definitely plays in a different way to Sadio Mane. Even the pace. more individualistic. what I always found with Mane, when the ball would come to him, he'd just start walking. And you wonder then how that clicks in with everything around. It gives people more time to come up, so he'll walk in towards the middle of the pitch and Robertson will go on the outside. And it was almost as if they were preordained moves, probably were preordained moves that would happen when he did that, whereas Diaz does everything at 100 miles an hour. Yeah. It, it, like it's a and how that unsettles other parts of the team despite the fact he has been one of Liverpool's better players and he'd be a huge loss if he's going to be out for any sustained period of time but you have to go and buy the best now they've bought Fabio Carvalho and Harvey Elliott Like Harvey Elliott looks like an unbelievable talent and maybe in a year or two years he's ready to hold that team but where but where what of player is he what position an eight and a half it feels that way yeah but not in the way Liverpool play at the moment. Maybe he's a 10. Potentially, you do look at it, but at the moment it's still in that 4 3 3. So, who did, so Carvalho will play on the left potentially. Could Diaz play instead of Salah and put Salah into the middle? But then Nunez is starting to play quite well. Uh, they do like to get Elias on the ball a little bit deeper. He just feels a little bit light and understandably so. He's still so young. So there's no, there's no quick fix and like next week. I imagine Liverpool fans will be going to Anfield with quite a bit of trepidation because it could show just how far they've fallen. Considering like the games between Liverpool and City over the last five years have been as good as we have ever seen in the Premier League, and Liverpool have always managed to get to their level. And Mo Salah in that Manchester City game has always delivered. He's yeah. always the one who steps up. And I know he didn't play I, well yesterday. Why,
2: why are you taking him off? I still don't understand. Was it like maybe there was a marker? More Maybe, games, knock.
3: maybe he's thinking about. But you need a winner. Maybe like, there's something coming up on his GPS
2: that suggests... You're going for it. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, uh, maybe something like that. he was only ever going to get an hour. But, like, I don't know. It didn't feel that way, did it? Uh, no, I still think... Yeah, i have never taken Sal off. Like, what if he scores the goal in the 94th minute that turns his season round? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's why uh Aaron Club gets paid the big bucks. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day a load of comments coming through the midfield has been a problem since Wijnaldum went and he had a rough season and is now wasted that's Ian Clark Kieran O'Doherty says Kogorda has to all in the OTB team on their award at the weekend very well deserved kickstart my day every morning Baller94 says Clop out he's obviously joking Uh, Kevin Wolf says Munster are presently not holding a single weapon never mind a rounded game uh, Connor Costello says, You normally have 24 hours to amend flights, so I'd get on to them straight away. Don't need to amend the flights. Maybe maybe I should probably cancel them and wait until see where it is. Maybe that's. All. Well, they also add more flights once the game is confirmed. To a city as big as Paris? Do they not have, like, no, do generally they have extra adds, capacity? Yeah. Uh, Casemiro is brilliant if he was playing in the Brazil team against Belgium they wouldn't have lost that game in the World Cup Man United are lucky to have him says standing on the world uh, and O'Connor says constant Liverpool and United chat dismissal of Arsenal only Liverpool who are awful only Spurs who haven't been great this season uh, my point about Liverpool was that uh, you can't you can no longer say we've made it because we've beaten this Liverpool team because they're going to be one of those teams who look great in your CV that you beat over the
3: course of the season To beat Tottenham last week as well Arsenal like yeah. Tottenham team were hard to break down it's a real shame Arsenal Man City was meant to be on uh, next week Wednesday week but they had to call it off because Arsenal had to get the Europa League game back in so that would have been the proper old test now maybe maybe it sets up beautifully and they go let's reschedule this for the second last Wednesday of the season yeah I just think as well that like uh, uh, for Arsenal to
2: for Arsenal to really convince us all they're going to have to win the league no they don't they like, convince
3: me uh, They've convinced me already and this is the problem that we're saying for Arsenal to convince us they need to win the league. They don't need to win the league. They finish second. It's an unbelievable but achievement. What does it mean? They're going up against the Manchester. What, what does, it, does it, mean? it mean, Jose Mourinho finished made second at Man United? Progress.
2: Uh, Jose Mourinho. So you got to, Okay, they've had a they've had a breakout season. I will give Absolutely. you that. If they finish
3: second. It's a breakout season. Some of the best attacking talent in the world. They've strengthened defensively. He's got the likes of Granit Xhaka playing far better than they've ever played for Arsenal before. And they're going up against the Bahamut in Manchester City that are probably going to be unstoppable. This is to say that because they might finish second, would somehow not be seen as success I'm not uh, well is, uh, like makes absolutely no sense well, because, is, because there's going to be no success for anybody these... there's going to be no success for anybody in the Premier League well, for the coming years maybe not
2: maybe there won't I just um, you maybe. cannot watch our, uh, well okay and, well, not I, have been I think they have to win something to right and
3: like that go, means, win the, go win the Europa League Europa League like that, that like, but again I, I get the trophy and trophies are important like, does winning the FA Cup make it a successful season no a more so. successful season than finish in second but
2: you're saying they have to win a trophy well I'm saying that Arsenal have to just prove to me over the long term that this isn't just a one season thing right they've definitely got loads of talent who are playing very well at the moment but it's been a short period of time and in the past very recently they've been flaky They were a bit. there was a bit of the old Arsenal about them at the end of last season when it was right there for them and they couldn't get it over the line now since then they've strengthened Will they strengthen again next year? I don't know. The track record isn't of relentless investments. It's been lumpy investment where we pile on, and this time it seems to have been at least with a a plan, and it seems to be working, and their manager seems to be good. But just consider me a doubting Thomas. I want to put my hand in the bloody wound and get the flesh and go yeah,
3: okay, okay, okay you're, you are the same thing this is real Look, they need to invest again and they need more depth because what happens if Gabriel Jesus gets injured I, I know Kenny Cunningham loves him and was raving about him I thought Liverpool got a lot of joy down Tommy Asu's side but he's only there because both Zinchenko and Tierney weren't playing uh, and they probably need a little bit more in midfield as well but if you're an Arsenal fan right now I think I feel you're very this, yeah. excited and like Martinelli I he's got to be, be
2: in the Brazil squad I'm, I'm, well. I, when you Talk about the Arsenal fans. It's been a, a magical week for Owen
3: Sheehan in many different ways. He's mushrooming over in uh, Mexico.
2: Michal O'Connor says, I'm delighted Nathan is challenging Jer over the long term. Look at the points totals over the last three years. You don't get a special prize for points totals over three years. You don't. Who you are we talking don't. about here?
3: I presume it's Arsenal. As opposed to who? Liverpool? I don't know. Yeah, but I think Liverpool had one season there where... Yeah, they, listen. They've got to be finishing top four on a regular basis, but they have the potential. They need to be able to keep those players. They finish top four. If like, you're, if you're, uh, if you're Manchester City going, she's Martinelli. Martin, I know we've got Grealish. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get rid of Grealish. Maybe we we'll get Martinelli in.
2: If you're City, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Grealish is playing well again. Shells won the first division. Says Peter M. Last year and OTB were all over it. Over six thousand at a Cork City game on Friday night for the third time this year, and nothing. What do we get up in Dublin? Nothing. Uh, get Johnny Ward on tomorrow, and we can grill him. Uh, grill them away in the comments. Tell us, we'll we'll get them for you. Uh, for sure, we well good to have Cork back in the Premier Division. Yeah, nothing about Cork City now. Nah, says Peter M. There you go. Uh, Nathan's patronised you by saying it's good to have you back. In no, there. it is. It has been noticed. Far too many teams uh, from Dublin in the Premier Division. For sure, Nathan Murphy can replace Stephen Kenny. He seems to know it all. Says Briar. Wow, it's uh, a comment, uh, a compliment. It's, it's uh, nine sure like thirty-eight. We're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back tomorrow with Shane back in studio as we build up to Ireland's enormous APM pm kickoff against Scotland at Hampden Park. Game's live and off the ball. It is, yeah. The uh, former Leinster and Ulster prop Jack McGrath will also be on the line. The former Leinster and current Ulster prop Jack McGrath will also be on the line. Plus, much more besides. OTB.